Control the coinage and the courts. Let the rabble have the rest. Thus the Padishah Emperor advised you. And he tells you, if you want prophets, you must rule. There is truth in these words, but I ask myself, who are the rabble and who are the ruled? Moadib's Secret Message to the Landsrat from Arrakis Awakening by the Princess Irulan. Spice World, an inebriated exploration of Frank Herbert's Dune. My name is Derek. And my name is Mike. Each chapter, we open a new bottle of wine and have a bit of a buzzed book club here, Derek. Right, we do, Mike. And as the winter months are moving along, I feel like we're getting more and more summer-oriented wines. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And that may be a fault of like going rosé in general for all of book <laughs> yeah. three. Probably, probably not the best decision. Yeah, but uh, this one is kind of interesting. This is from 90-plus uh, sellers. Uh, How many sellers series. do they have? 90 plus, so they don't want to tell me. Uh, they're only paying taxes on 90. Um, or at least 91, maybe. Yeah, yeah. maybe. Nonetheless, uh, so they are like a distributor. They select up wines that like meet, I guess, mm. whatever criteria it is they set, and then they shoot them all over the world. So this is out of uh, Provence, France, uh, a popular wine region. Right, right, right. And uh, we get just a rosé. Uh, Cote Coast de Provence. Uh, yeah, it yeah. looks right to me. Pronounced poorly by me. <laughs> and uh, it just like, recommends us. I mean, have you taken a sip, Mike? Yeah, tell I have. What, what did you get out of it? Before I tell you what they tell us to pair it with. Oh. That's the only recommendation I get from them. Oh, God. Mm -hmm. What are you feeling? Because I get like, it's a really strong bloom. It's a very bright flavor, but it's like almost uh, silky. I get apple from it. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, I can see that. Yeah, like on the... It's sort of like the finish of like I feel like apple in my cheeks. No, I think I get it on the the first sip, okay. on the assault on the backswing. It's sort of like I don't know. It's I get like that feeling of like melting ice. Is that weird? N no, no, that's like what I fit in that bloom of like yeah, 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 yeah. yeah, yeah. It's refreshing. It's just like and... this is a bad description. <laughs> melting. <laughs> it ice. tastes like water that's cold <laughs> <laughs> and apples. Uh, yeah. Well, Mike, it tells us to pair it with all of our summer pleasures. So it just goes with everything. <laughs> God damn it. Does it really? Yeah, yeah. They have a pretty generic. But it's very delicious. I think I'd recommend it to anyone who wants it. I love it. With that, Mike, I got a quick message. No. We have a new patron this week. Get out of town. I know. So we got Carrie coming in saying thank you. Well, thank you, Carrie. Stopping by. Stopping by. Little, little, still a permanent Spice Worlder. Still a permanent Spice Worlder. Doing a little Mr. Rogers wave on the way by <laughs> the window. <laughs> And uh, I guess this wine is going to be for you, Carrie. That's fantastic. Ching. So jumping into this chapter, Mike, we mm. got a, a cool little uh, quote at the beginning. Yeah, this yeah, one, yeah. way different than any of the other ones we've had, right? Yeah. Because it, it's also, it's a message that Paul has it's sent. It's a secret message. Yeah. And, well, I think he's already dispatched it. Somewhere, oh. somewhere in this like two year period. Like, I feel like this is already out there. Oh, interesting. I, I don't really have uh I don't think I can back it up textually for you. Even if when we get to the end of the book, I won't be able to point to something, but I don't see um, between where we are and the end. I don't see another opportunity. He really has to get this out mm -hmm. and for it to have any real uh, meaning or to do any work for him. But what what do you think of him uh, relaying this off? Obviously, the message is pretty straightforward. He's trying to rally the Landsrat against the Emperor, right? Yeah, yeah, or yeah. At least make them question their place. I mean, place. like, yeah. 
So this made me think of uh, earlier when he was uh, speaking with Kynes and how like, hey, just get me an audience with the Emperor. I'll blackmail him and we'll be good. Mm-hmm. It seems like that plan definitely out the window. Yep. Because yep. otherwise, we wouldn't be talking to Lancer. I'd like, you know what's funny? Mm-hmm. And first of all, this also means that if this does take place uh, during that two-year period, the rest of the Imperium knows he's alive. Um, hmm. Otherwise, why are they accepting, like, oh, yeah, like, uh, uh, this prophet? Well, well, maybe if they are accepting it under the name Moadib, that doesn't mean they know it's Paul Atreides. Wouldn't it be weird if, like, this random prophet just, like, started sending this message to the entire Landsrad? Definitely. I, I don't I don't like you disagree. It, uh, we don't. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I do. I do for sure. Okay. I see. What, I know. I know exactly what you're okay, saying. Yeah, yeah. With how insular the Fremen have been, like they haven't been like. Uh, there's no envoy. Yeah. that the Landsred might know. I would just think like with how um, all eyes have turned on Arrakis at this point, maybe that would give them reason for whatever point. Uh, like. This is this is someone clearly stirring the pot. I can see him getting this message out through the smugglers through some way. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I, I kind of get your point of like, yeah, what? How? Why would the Landsrad even give this any like credence, or how would you vet this? And exactly, what do they? If they only know what we think the other people know about the Fremen, there, i.e., ten of them. <laughs> like, yeah, you would you might discount this entirely. You, you raise a lot of good uh, points there uh, that I can't really push back on. Yeah, I got nothing. So, uh, yeah, I mean, ultimately, I don't know what else to make of this other than, like, it's kind of cool. He's just sort of, like, sowing the seeds. Yeah, he, yeah, he's stirring the pot, causing mm-hmm. some discontent, uh, maybe getting some divisions to form within the Landsrad preemptively mm-hmm. to whatever he's going to do. Uh, maybe he doesn't intend to, like, ever get them to rally to him, like, knowing, yeah, who's going to listen to this Fremen off in the desert, but just mm-hmm. to, like, hey, guys, put this out there. Maybe you didn't hear. Um, think about these words. Uh, but interesting too that it's put into Arrakis Awakening, Irulan's yeah. book. Like this is a little excerpt from that book. So she needed, she clearly included this for some reason in um, her recitation of this history. Mm-hmm. That's interesting. It must have uh, worked on some level. But uh, me, without me telling you, or yeah, besides me telling you that it was sent in this two-year period, did mm-hmm. you? What did you think of when it did go out then? Were you thinking it was going to be post or in the events where it coming up? Oh, well, I mean, like, once they get off planet, I think. Mm-hmm. I think they would have gone off planet. Who was who they? Paul and the Fremen. Paul and the Fremen, yeah. I don't know. That's actually... Hmm. I guess they wouldn't do that yet. It makes more sense to, like, get the word out there, sort of, like, feel get a feel for what's happening. Mm-hmm. It's like, what are you going to do once you get in space? Where are you going? <laughs> it's expensive. Yeah, that's a yeah, really yeah. expensive Uber. And already, if, like... You going into space, it's like, that's not a secret either. Because the guild knows. Guild right. has spies. Guild makes money. Like, all of a sudden, everybody knows you went into space. Mm-hmm. Like, mm-hmm. the cat's out of the bag at that point. Uh, very, very interesting. Uh, why don't we walk away from that? I don't think, uh, or I guess, usually we tie these into the chapters in any way. Is there some way that you see this tying into the chapter we're going into? Uh, honestly, no. I think this is just one of those chapters where uh, Frank needed a place to put it in. <laughs> Okay, okay. To be honest, I, I'll uh, I'll take his corner a little bit right, and push sure. of just um with this who are the rabble and who are the ruled. It's interesting that we're seeing we're looking at two different power factions ourselves. Paul is out in the desert with Stilgar doing his thing. Here we're seeing Jessica Hara kind of running the CH part, and specifically a little ways in, uh, Jessica makes the comment of like Paul's on his own 
he'll have to decide how to handle things. Mm-hmm. I can only do this here. Now that maybe that kind of aspect of the rabble and the ruled, uh, kind of mm-hmm. like Hara pointing it out of like Hara's not ruled for sure. She, <laughs> she's not she rabble. Makes, she makes a point. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I am not rabble. Uh, but maybe that's kind of a stretch. Uh, I, like, I, I honestly think that this is just Frank finding a place to put it. Yeah, yeah, and it's it's good exposition for again where the story is gonna right, go. Right, right. This is a neat and intriguing part that you're gonna reflect back on. And be like, oh, wait, Paul did kind of stir <gasps> things up in the Landsrad a little bit, or at least Moadib did. So we'll leave that quote then. Let's, uh, uh, I forgot to tell you oh, something. What's up? You see this little soundboard here? Yes. See this? I see a button, glowing orange button here. What's that button, do, Mike? I deliberately did this. <laughs> <laughs> the soundboard's gonna dangerous. Be, yeah, yeah, very much so. Uh, I appreciate that though, Frank. Um, <laughs> so we're going to go, we're going to head south. All right. Heading down south. We have these CHs that Paul was so eager to go to, but he's never been allowed. Uh, yeah. And Cheney was pretty hesitant to describe, but you know who's down there? Jessica's down there. Yeah. She's kicking it in her new digs and uh, fairly extensive chambers in here too. Really Just fancy. Like, really fancy. How long were they at CH Tiber? Uh, who? Uh, Paul and Jessica. Wasn't it only like a day or two? Well, no, no, no. So we, we don't know. Uh, we didn't we didn't leave right away. I don't know when in that two-year period we jumped ship. I thought they left right away. It no, made it seem like they were. No, no. We were getting ready of like, Hara said everything was prepared, but like, we're going to our room. We're going to, re- you know, and like she took Paul. We're still doing the education. They were just going to work right up until the last moment. And uh, Hara tells us in this like, uh, you know, we stayed there until the Razia. And that's when, like, they left uh, okay. once the Sadokar showed up. Right, right, right. Because, like, why would you leave a day earlier? <laughs> Sadokar, no problem. Like, yes. We'll leave, but, like, we're, well, we're not going to stress ourselves. That's fair. And, Mike, we had to move so much water. Bucket by bucket. Oh, <laughs> like, that's true. How do you transport all that water? We still don't know. <laughs> Yeah, it made no sense whatsoever. Because uh, we saw like six guys go through each holding a bag. And, like that's not enough. But that wasn't the water of life. So that's true. I don't know what was happening there. Hmm. Um, but nonetheless, uh, Jessica, she's actually taking a moment of quiet between classes. So she's teaching. She's teaching. She's putting that MBA to use, Mike. <laughs> oh, God. I forgot. That's what it's there for. Uh, I assume, like, it's a Sayadina kind of class, but we really don't get a feel for it. All I yeah. know is it's kind of stressing her out, and she enjoys this little reprieve. And uh, you pointed out to me, I never would have, I think, caught this. Uh, this is a chapter of all women. Yeah. For the it's first. Ladies' night. It's ladies' night in Dune. Um, do you remember me telling you about the Bechdel test? No. Uh, a number of episodes ago, I mentioned to you the Bechdel test. And so this is pulled from an actual comic strip. The author is Alison Bechdel. And it was called The Rule. And it's about these two women. They're going to a movie theater. And one are like, oh, I want to go see a movie. And one one's like, oh, when I see a movie, it has to follow these three different rules. And it's basically it has to feature uh, at least uh, two women who talk to each other about something other than a man. And uh, they should have names. Okay. So you would Fair. think three very simple requirements, yeah. right? Remarkable amount of movies cannot meet this requirement. Really? Yeah. 
Oh, and especially like if you go, um, I think there's a cool data set. Um, that this guy, so somebody took that information and was like, oh, this is a really cool idea. And they've been running movies through. So there are a couple websites that track these. Um, there are a lot of user submitted data. And uh, I can't remember the, he had a cutoff date of like one going from like the 90s to the early 2000s and then from like mid 2000s to present essentially. And obviously it's better represented in mid 2000s onward. Mm-hmm. But the really interesting fact was that there was a economic correlation to it and that movies that passed the test made like 30 33% more at the box office really yeah and it's like it's very cool because of how like unscientific this test is mm-hmm. it doesn't really tell you anything but it it's an okay like um you know finger in the air to be like no the wind's definitely blowing that way or whether or not <laughs> right uh, that we kind of subconsciously reflect the can see it and like see a movie as being better if it does meet that standard hmm. now in this chapter we're going to approach we have at least two women. Okay. They are going to talk about something other than a man. Right. And, I mean, a miracle is that all three of them have a name today. That's true. <laughs> Four, even, if we count Tharthar. Um, <laughs> really true. That's window. true. Um, though I don't know how specific it has to be, because the scene, the very first thing that comes up, though, is Jessica thinks about Paul. So I don't know if that gets an asterisk or not, but the bulk of the conversation is about Aaliyah and Aaliyah's placement in the tribe. So I feel like that's a good catch for it. So Frank, I I think you got a pass on this one chapter. I deliberately did this. (laughs) You dog you. It's like, I looked at you and you're like, (laughs) you gave me the nod. You got it, Mike. You're feeling this one out. You you just bite that one and I'll tell you if you bit off too much. (laughs) But... So uh, that was just a really cool thing to see come up, and I think it's so interesting to be able to apply it to Dune. Uh, and it's just the fact that Frank named them all, yeah. and that would be a part of the test. Is Frank huge. of all people. Frank of all people. So, Bechtel test aside, we uh, are in uh, Jessica's chamber with her, right? Mm-hmm. She's in between classes, and so her thoughts are going to kind of run. She does think of Paul, because it's uh, the day of Paul's testing, right? And uh, then she also has this thing of like, uh, hey, Cheney is mysteriously gone. She must be on an errand. Yeah. I feel like that's just uh, <laughs> Jessica. Yeah. <laughs> Come on. Well, or so does that mean Cheney lied? Maybe. And like basically <laughs> cheated to get herself up there. And then like, is there a hogtied Sayadina somewhere who is supposed <laughs> to oversee that <laughs> test that like Cheney's out there now? Because we know Cheney can drop most Fremen men. That's true. She's that powerful. Uh, but clearly she lied to at least Jessica and like ran oh, off because she should be down there with her kid. I actually missed that. Uh, I didn't think of that. Yeah. it Because it, what we said, oh, Cheney, she made it seem like, no, I'm supposed to be here, Paul. Don't worry. <laughs> and Paul is like, you shouldn't be seeing this right. Like you're conflicted. Right, right. <laughs> but the waiting was going to be too much for her. She wasn't going to do the waiting. So she went. She sounds like she'd be a great Benny Jesuit. Oh, yeah. yeah. Perfect. Oh, rules? Yeah. Hell yeah. <laughs> Excuse me? <laughs> So we then kind of take the second to sort of observe Jessica's chamber, and it's smaller than what we had at Tabar, but it has these thick rugs, soft cushions. She's got the works. I imagine the hangings are the same hangings with the uh, myths and, like, legends of the oh, yeah, yeah, kind of, like, sewn into them. And uh, then Jessica comments that this new CH already has that familiar odor to it. <laughs> it's got that Fremen uh, That stag. new cave odor. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, but now this smell gives her a sense of security. It is home to her now. Ah. Like, it's comforting uh, with that gross odor all around you. However, Jessica is also, she's harboring another feeling deep in her. And it goes, yet she knew she would never overcome a feeling of being in an alien place. 
It was the harshness that the rugs and hangings attempted to conceal. That's going to be that rough cut rock that's always right behind that, right? right? We're just putting up these little facades over nature. Uh, but really, we're still, we're in a cave. We're hiding. It's sort of like, um, remember when Jessica first reflected on the meaning of Sietch? Mm-hmm. That it's supposed to be a, it's a temporary place. It's where you go during a time of uh, harshness and hiding. It's not supposed to mean home. Mm-hmm. But it has for the Fremen. It's because it's evolved that way. And they've for- forgotten the fact that it's not supposed to be their home. Now, uh, a faint drumming sound sort of echoes through the corridor. It's going to happen a couple times tonight. Uh, as it's like it's late evening uh, where we are in the caves, right? And this one is Soupier's birthday ceremony. So she's had her child. Hey. Yeah, some random Fremen we'll never meet again. Uh, but, oh, <laughs> but you got a name, fifth though. Fifth name, yeah. yeah. <laughs> we will appreciate that today. Okay, um, Frank. Okay, Frank. Yeah, you're showing a new leaf. It's a little late, though. Now, <laughs> 41 chapters in <laughs> out of 50. Beverly, I got this idea. What if I name all the women? <laughs> you, you didn't do that, Frank? <laughs> yeah, he doesn't say that. Now, Jessica knows that she will see this baby. They're going to bring it for a blessing, a little fremen cherub. Uh, and she also knows that Aaliyah will be watching the ceremony, and she's going to report on it. So that, right away, like, did you think that she's using Aaliyah as, like, an agent? Just when you read it, going Maybe. through that line. I don't know. It gets a little more context as the chapter goes on, and she comes in. But, like, just you that she used like, to report on it here. Yeah, the, the report is kind of the weird word in that. Because, mm-hmm. like, I could, uh, I could assume that, like, yeah, my kid's probably going to go see this, and, like, they'll tell me all about it later. Sure. Well, like, and it's wait, like, no, she's going to report to me. I was like, can I put an asterisk on the yeah. kid going? Like, So the kid that you're describing, I feel like, is curiously going to watch yeah. the thing. In a way, Aaliyah is analytically like looking at this from... <laughs> she's got a scratch pad. She's taking notes. Yeah, and comparing it to previous ones she's seen in her memories. Mm-hmm. Like, she has that weird state. So, like, maybe a report is exactly what Aaliyah will do. Yeah. But it's like uh, Jessica hasn't requested it. <laughs> it's that weird mix with uh, Aaliyah that is going to be very fun to watch it. Right. Watch it grow up, Mike. I think it's very cool that the Fremen are born blue-eyed. Ooh. Oh, is that, is that, oh the blue-eyed, the baby's going to have those blue right, eyes. Right, right. Yeah, it's in their yeah. blood. Yeah, that makes sense for the fetus yeah. developing the whole time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We're, okay, so the next line is very curious, though. It brings up uh, this nightly prayers, which are going to happen in this mm-hmm. chapter. But it refers to, like, how the baby didn't, you wouldn't want to have a baby close to the nightly prayers. But, like, it's only 10 minutes from now, right? We have, like, a really <laughs> short conversation before Nightly like, Prayers You better come. push or we got to wait, like, three hours. Yeah, yeah. So, I'm like, are we just... Is this comment just to, like, highlight, whoa, glad that baby made it in time? <laughs> or Subie <laughs> got lucky. She really did. Because <laughs> it says, it was not yet time for the nightly prayer of parting. They wouldn't have started a birth celebration near the time of ceremony that mourned the slave raids of Porygen, Belatigis, Rossek, and Harmanthep. Oh, hey... This is the only time that we, like we mention all these places within the crossing together. Um, no, doesn't Jessica when they mention like the wailing of it, uh, echoing through? Didn't Romalo highlight each stop that they made? I don't know. You want to control F? Yes, I do. They uh, so it's like uh, this one. There had been Fremen on poetry, and she saw people grown soft and easy planet. Uh, oh, the wailing, Jessica sensed the parting far down the corridor, an image voice screamed, they denied us the Hajj. Jessica saw the slave cribs on Bella Tegis down the inner corridor, saw the weeding and selecting uh, that me- that spread men to Rossek and Harmanthep. So oh, the first, okay. when she's You're like right. absorbing yeah. her. Um, but uh, again, like uh, this is what I think is concisely and fair, uh, fair, put fair. together, like 
it's uh, another reinforcement of it, but how important that whole journey was. Like that really defines the right. Fremen's backstory and that they don't, they don't want to ever separate themselves from it either. Mm. We want to remember this because this is a nightly prayer. Every night they go through this ritual. The morning of that journey. Mm-hmm. And, and we're going to see it's deeply personal because they're not um, regurgitating a set of lines. You say what personally happened to your family. Mm. Uh, and at least I'm uh, extrapolating that from what Hara says when we do get to it. Um, right. So we'll uh, blow that up a little bit more when we come down to it. But very few times we have, like, given every planet that they go through. And this is like a really... Dun, 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 dun. And mm-hmm. right at this point, we're very familiar with them. And I love yeah, hearing it all out. A lot of it. In the, the uh, glossary, they list each one as, like, this was the first one. This was the second oh, one. Oh, yeah, yeah. And mm-hmm. they actually have nicknames as, like, the first stop or the second stop. Yeah. It's not just the planet. That they were, yeah, the friend like the would planet's know name is like the first stop. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, that is super interesting. And mm-hmm. like how they would, uh, oh, each one would just have different memories and horrors to reflect on with each oh, yeah. stop of like knowing where your family was split. In the audiobook, I found it interesting. It was, uh, they pronounced it uh, Bella to Goose. Bella to Goose. Yeah, and we go to Geese. We always good do to Geese, but mm-hmm. I, I guess you could do it either way. Yeah, yeah. I the, like the Goose. The Goose. <laughs> the Goose. Everyone <laughs> likes the Goose. I like to uh, it's Bella the Goose. Ah, uh, yeah, that's good. So you're, you're, gonna fold it. you're giving it a name, Mike. <laughs> now you're going to get attached. You got to bring this. You got to bring this planet home. <laughs> now, um, Jessica runs into this thought of like well, the subject of the nightly prayer and stuff. She realizes uh, she's just trying to keep the other dangers that Paul is facing from her mind. She's mm-hmm. taking any kind of avenue to distract herself, but she has to kind of face this. And she lists out three of her fears for us. And it was a little weird. We're like, the last two make total sense to me. The first one was very odd. It's the pit traps with their poison barbs, Harkonnen raids, and then the natural dangers of the desert. And I'm like, the last two, cool, cut and dry. Where are these pit traps with the poison barbs? Or is that the metaphor for the Harkonnen raids? I don't know. I think I got to take it as a metaphor. Otherwise, the desert is a much more dangerous place than I assumed. Uh, or if it's just like... A meta- I think the pit traps with the poison barbs refers to unseen dangers. Of like, I was going to kind of say like... Paul's it's like you never sort of- see a pit trap coming. You can't <laughs> yes, tell yes. something's poisoned. Okay, okay, I like that. That's, that, that's what I would say. So, yes. like, a poisonous pit trap is the worst. <laughs> it's the worst of the un- double unseen. <laughs> Whoa. Yeah, yeah, maybe. It's so just, like, the the um, political uh, yeah, intrigue you kind of navigating. Yeah, whole, like, cadre of things. Sure, sure. Falling into a trap on the Fremen exactly. and these groups and these things. The guys that have sharpened their knives for Paul that have come out to, oh, like, yeah, try yeah. to bleed him. Sure, sure. Something like that. Uh, and then when she brings up natural dangers, she specifically says, maybe Acres, thirst, and dust chasms. And one of those is very personal, I think, to Jessica because she got stuck in a dust chasm. (laughs) (laughs) I was thinking, just like, why does she think that's so dangerous? Like, I remember now. She was buried alive, like 10 meters down. So it makes the list. It makes a little more sense. That one's very, very personal. I, thinking, I feel like the worm might be scary, but I'm like, no, okay. No. Okay. Dust chasm. That all happened in the same day. One. Yeah. <laughs> in fact, the knife is the least dangerous thing of all. The knife didn't make the list. It was a maker, thirst, and dust chasm. Oh, God, yeah. That was yeah. just that one day. Knives are just a happenstance. So I thought that was great. Now, uh, at this, 
Jessica, she's thinking of calling for a cup of coffee when suddenly the curtains part and a hand drives in and deposits a cup of coffee. Damn. I want to live there, Mike. That sounds really good. Now, back when you and I used to work at the ice cream shop, we had the girls up front who would make us our coffee when we came in for our shift. And that's what this reminds me of, of like when like Sophia would come in, coffee ready to go. You didn't even ask. And you're just like, like oh, you angel. <laughs> this is what I needed. And so Jessica... This is, uh, she's going to touch on a little paradox of Fremen life here, but like with this cup of coffee coming in, she reflects like, we live better than the people in the cities do mm-hmm. while we're out here, but we also experience greater hardship in the desert than any like uh, person under a Harkonnen bondsman ever will. Mm-hmm. And it's this uh, duality it's of It's like life. a weird paradox, yeah. Yep, that uh, suffuses all of Fremen culture. And now this coffee was ultimately an offering from Soubier's birthing celebration. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, and coffee for everyone's getting a cup of coffee. It's like cake at an office. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> That's yeah. what's going on yeah. right now. And I mean, I told you, like, in Eastern culture, uh, coffee is huge. You do it mm. all kinds. So even that it's late at night here, you sit down. And, like, the grain of the cup, it's only, like, a like a little six-ounce cup. Like, right, those right. little tiny ones. And you drink it communally. So it's not going to keep her wired all night. But it is still a great little offering. Mm-hmm. And uh, Jessica's kind of... She likes how much they instinctively respected her privacy in that that person didn't intrude. Right. right? Didn't try and small talk or strike up a conversation. Mm -hmm. Just put the coffee in there. And she kind of chalks it up to like the Tao of the CH. Like they just, this understanding they would instinctively sort of have in this oneness with each other. Mm. Uh, And that she, you know, it's not like, in offense or anything in a way. It's just like a really cool understanding of each other. And like, this is what the Sayadina needs. And also that she can take an anonymous cup without fear of treachery in this place. Like only here. Only here. Well, cause we're, in it's all a war of assassins Imperium. within the Imperium. Yeah, exactly. And like, even though, even though she's like, I could change any poison. They don't necessarily know that though. Right. And I still, I just don't even have to think about it. I can just, Tip this away without knowing, like, she didn't have to see who dropped it off. Even, yeah. like, back in the Kaladin days, you'd want to see that, like, servant. I'd want to make sure that was my guy. And it's then not a piter hand bringing in that coffee, exactly. is it? Yeah, <laughs> a slender hand. You see, like, a weird pinky ring on her something. I bet, I bet Piter does have a pinky ring. Yeah, oh, yeah. I yeah. bet he stole it from the Baron. <laughs> <laughs> or, like, somebody. You know, he's just like, yes. <laughs> Piter's conniving. Um, but then finally we kind of see that Jessica, apparently she really needed that coffee because she drains that cup. It just gets well, like... it's a little six ounce, yeah. Yeah, yeah. I mean, even so, like, you could sip at it. You can be a little classy. True, true, but true. But she's tired. Uh, she's in her trading, so not allowed to sleep. Man, think about, like, uh, how, mu- how much water, like, six ounces of water? <laughs> Wait, why, why are you thinking about six ounces of water? Just, like, there's... Uh, doling out water for like celebration, more or less. Oh, okay. From a Fremen standpoint, yeah, from yeah, a yeah, Fremen yeah, standpoint. Yes, yes. I mean, okay. I guess, like, yeah. In our context, day to day working, <laughs> yeah, like, it's I, not I, that like, important. Like, yes, Mike. but like the fact that they're probably giving this to everyone in celebration. Six ounces of water is a lot of goddamn water. Yeah, I wonder. I wonder where it comes from. Like, whose water? Or do you think maybe the whole tribe? Of well, it's, it's the like, tribe's water ultimately. Well, right, right. But you, you know, you have water rings, and like, there's an accounting for oh, it. Of like, yeah. that's what I'm saying. Of like, is it just like a uh, I don't know. I assume. It, I don't I, know. I, you know wait, what? Hold, no, no. Fremen I, baby shower. They all pitch in for the coffee. That could be. I'll buy that, and then you get it for like the. Yeah, work. yeah. I was gonna say. Do you think maybe the Sayadina has like a petty water fund? Oh, like a petty cash fund. Yeah, yeah. There's <laughs> like a couple, there's like water balloons. And you just take out one of the <laughs> water balloons <laughs> under the safe. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> 
You get a couple, then we're gonna go all the way down to the reservoir. You get the penny water, yeah. but pop. <laughs> <laughs> but I, I just like to think that, uh, yeah, that maybe it's, um, uh, I, I want to say supplemented by is that the word for like, <laughs> yeah, by yeah, the yeah. government. Sure, sure, sure. <laughs> yeah. Um, so this, uh, Final thought of Fremen culture. She, we've derived all this from this cup of coffee. This yeah. is kind of like rolling thought and stuff. And Jessica, it ends with a really interesting line of her last kind of thought on Fremen culture. And the thought of coincidence never entered their minds. And I was like, man, that is a way broader scope comment than anything she said prior. And that you just leave. And it's even isolated, I think, in its own sentence. Um, but like very cool commentary on the Fremen as a whole. Now, with this end of uh, her thoughts on Fremen culture, and I, I appreciated her little dissertation there, mm-hmm. uh, her thoughts return to Paul and how, like, an accident can strike down anyone. Yeah. Smallest thing. Like, I mean, oh, granted, uh, Mike, Paul could be eaten right now. True. He could be worm fodder where we left He may him. not even make it on the worm. Yeah. Worm just, <laughs> boom, boom, done. <laughs> That was Moadib. <laughs> uh, we'll pick up that staff with water and uh, start a new story. <laughs> Slugger's running over for the staff. <laughs> yeah, you got to get the staff. Yeah. Um, we're leaving him out there. She's kind of thought of that. And uh, she has the same thought that Cheney has, though, where she says the waiting is too much. Like, she doesn't want to bear the waiting. Mm. And I'm just like, oh, Cheney beat you to that so bad. And that girl already hightailed it out of here and caught the next worm headed north. <laughs> um, but then Jessica has this thought of uh, kind of the status of where we are. More than two years we've been here, she thought, and twice that number at least to go before we can even hope to think of trying to wrest Arrakis from the Harkonnen governor, the Mudirnaya, the beast Rabahan. So she's anticipating it's going to take us at least another four or five years before we can even try and like take Arrakis from the Harkonnens. Yeah, I think even more to the point, just that that is still her goal. Like we're two years in, this is all she's thinking about. This I is where like Paul would be happy just living amongst the Fremen. Uh, I mean, trying to experience day to day as it is a single day, <laughs> nothing more. I I uh, I disagree. You think? Uh, yeah. Well, you think Paul wants more? Yeah, yeah. I, I'll say I'll go as far as say I know Paul wants more. And so uh, we're gonna go back to Paul next chapter, and I think he's gonna be able to give you a little bit more of his side of like this conversation we have with Jessica and Hara. because oh. we're gonna be talking about Paul and Stilgar a lot, like this conflict brewing between them. Didn't we touch on it last chapter? A little at all? bit. Like, of, like, well, the, the, like people were expecting it that there's there's talk among the youth, right, right, right? right? This is going to be a growing theme for it. And uh, we're going to learn that Paul has been contemplating this. Even like last chapter, he had this thought in his mind. Because uh, like I told you from the tent on, Paul's not going to tell us everything that's happening. Hmm. And you and I are doing a lot to catch up to where Paul is. Paul's already at the end of the book. They've already got plans within plans. Exactly. I mean, yeah, I mean, he's seen the end of the book. He read their last chapter. He Actually, he read a couple versions, too. <laughs> he, he doesn't know where the final edit's going to be. But, uh, yeah, he's got a better idea than we do, uh, certainly going forward. But uh, I do think that that's on Paul's mind. He's got some bigger pictures, too. Uh, but clearly, yeah, Jessica, she's looking at the, she's she got an idea or a feel for the political situation on mm-hmm. Arrakis. And like, this is what she's uh, divining out that, yeah, oh, at least two more years to go before we wrestle control from him. That's, that's crazy. I mean, what is it going to be like two more years from now? The Baron's already cut him off. He's going to have to squeeze and yeah. squeeze. Maybe uh, Fade will be here at that well, point. Fade would have to be here by that point. Uh, I mean, do we get a sense of a timetable? 
It, me, uh, it felt like, uh, especially now that they have new information, it yeah. feels like they'll probably speed up the timetable, being like, yeah, well, let's get Beast out of there, let's I, get Fade in power. I mean, I kind of thought you were going to say it felt like the Jaws were closing in, and like that is a sense I kind of got. Okay. The way the Baron was talking about it, it does seem like we're close well, to... the fact that we spent so many chapters just talking about like, oh... Oh, Hooper's <laughs> like, like we gotta we gotta do some things. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Those first two coming in to be like, it, yeah, interesting that we cue in like we need to go to the Harkonnens for the start of this book. Right, like right. you really need to see where they're at uh, to get a feel for the rest. But let's uh, let's leave Raban aside. Let the Mudirnaya stir in Arrakis, or uh, we're, well, he's probably down Carthag again, isn't he? We've only met him once. Yeah, it wasn't that. <laughs> it was the chair. <laughs> um, but for now, enter Hara and your new favorite, right? I love Hara. Oh, what about Endalia? I just mean they both come in. I love them both. They are, Hara makes a really great impression today. Because, like, I get the feeling through the whole chapter, it's just Hara letting you know, like, I could do your job if I wanted to. Right. I accept my place, though. I, uh, I just uh, envision her as, like, uh, like that doting aunt uh, with uh, baby Leah. Yeah, definitely. I mean, oh, so so good with Leah. Mm. Like she's gonna be the little governoress for Leah, <laughs> like nursing her all the way through. Um, but Hera kind of she comes into Jessica's chambers first. She has a frown on her face, and uh, she's <laughs> followed by Leah close behind uh, her. We finally get to see her in the flesh. This is so awesome. Yeah. Do you? Uh, I pulled that paragraph for like seeing her daughter. Do you want to read that one right aloud? Because this is like her opening, her first debut onto sure. the scene. Jessica was caught, as she frequently was, by Aaliyah's resemblance to Paul at that age, the same wide-eyed solemnity to her questing look, the dark hair and firmness of mouth. But there were subtle differences, too, and it was in these that most adults found Aaliyah disquieting. The child, little more than a toddler, carried herself with a calmness and awareness beyond her years. Adults were shocked to find her laughing at a subtle play of words between the sexes, or they catch themselves listening to her half-lisping voice, still blurred as it was by an unformed soft palate, and discovered in her words sly remarks that could only be based on experiences no two-year-old had ever encountered. <laughs> Such a great life. I, all, all of it, it's sort of summed up in there. Even if you didn't know what happened to her, you oh, can yeah. sort of figure out, like, oh, this is just a grown person in a little kid's body. Um, I kind of think back to uh, your new interview with the vampire. Uh, yeah. Part of it is like the guy ends up uh, biting a, I think she's like a, like a seven year old. It's like, like a little girl. Okay. Yeah. And yeah. that girl is forever stuck at that age. And that Sucks. creates an equal kind of paradox to Aaliyah where mm. like you can build all these life experiences, but it's not reflected on your body in the way. Right. And therefore not perceived by others around you. Uh, and they can't give you the credence that you deserve. Mm -hmm. um, so I, I just love that. I like that we touch on a little bit how she looks like Paul, but there's a difference. Because every Atreides is an exception. Right? Mm. Paula, if you will. <laughs> if you will. But apparently she's not good enough to be the Quisatara. <laughs> apparently. Uh, I, I love the idea of, uh, was it... The subtle play of words between sexes, just like hearing a sex joke and like laughing and like repeating the like, oh no, from a half, yeah, half lisping, unformed palate. Like, yeah, honey, you should go in the other room. <laughs> like, no. <laughs> Imagine how uncomfortable everyone else is just like feeling around that point. Yeah, yeah. Oh, but I would just love to hear. It. She would just cut such a great joke. It would probably be awesome. She sounds adorable. Is uh. Uh, in the movie, is she uh, prevalent for a lot of scenes? 
Uh, I mean, in the book, is she prevalent for a lot of scenes? No. She'll, I mean, I, I've seen her in one scene so far. Exactly. But I don't know about the rest of them. Yeah, no, no. She's not going to get... She's around. Uh, but uh, she gets some good movie time, though. I'll okay. give you that. Uh, at least, like, when you end the movie, you remember you saw Leah. Like, yeah. you, you don't forget she was there. You'll forget <laughs> the pug, but you won't forget her. <laughs> You'll forget the pugs Atreides? You forget... Yeah, some people do. Oh. Pugs Atreides, come on. <laughs> He's not supposed to be there. Uh... But, so Hara, she comes in, sinks into one cushion, and she directs her frown at Aaliyah, and this lets us know the source of Hara's problem. <laughs> she glares at that child. And uh, I love Aaliyah. She takes a little seat by Jessica, and she takes Jessica's hand. Aww. And in holding her mom's hand, the contact of flesh restores mutual awareness, though not shared thoughts. That's wild. What does that even mean? That's just next level Fremen. Uh, well, sort of like how we decided that um, the moat form was just sort of the hyper extension of your spatial awareness being, uh, what was it? That was a sixth sense of ours. Yeah. I think it's just that they kind of can share that heightened sense and that they get that moat sense from each other right away. And uh, obviously it conveys emotion because Jessica's going to be sort of like, uh, passively reading how Aaliyah feels as this dialogue goes on. Mm -hmm. uh, but it's it's super weird power. It makes no sense. Uh, it's only these two girls that show us it. I don't know if, like, if two reverend mothers would have the same feeling if they ever touched. It would make sense that they would. Uh, I don't know. Is it because of well, the water of life and, like, the drug? Or is it because ooh, okay. of... A val valid point for, like, raising... Because they have kind of a unique situation. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I agree, and I would say that maybe it's Aaliyah is the one, like, um, causing the effect in Jessica outside of the water of life. And that maybe if two Reverend Mothers touched, it wouldn't happen, but if a Reverend Mother touched Aaliyah, it would. Oh, maybe. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, yeah Aaliyah yeah. is, like, some someone is causing oh. the whole effect, and I'm thinking it must be her, because, again, she's the exception. She's an Atreides. <laughs> She's going to ruin everything. Um, but so just that, that, that touch um, restarts that. Very cool. Interesting that it's not thoughts per se anymore. Um, and, uh, oh, but it is thoughts if they touch during the water of life ritual, it does tell us. Right. So that's okay. really interesting. Then they can go full on, which I guess is just back to the Romalo trance. That yeah. did start that whole process. So maybe that does make full sense for them. Uh, but it is letting us know they have done it then. A few times. So, like, uh, I would say Aaliyah sort of re-upped her memories. If Jessica made any new memories, she got them. Made a little copy. You think that's what happens? I don't know if it's that, like, know. thorough. But I, I think it is, like, um, you know how Romalo, like, Jessica couldn't stop Romalo from seeing anything in her mind? Right, right, right. Romalo's just, like, going through, like, an open book. I, I bet it is. And, and there's no reason for them to hide anything from each other. Right. Because clearly they're, if anyone's going to be on the same team, it's these two I think girls. I usually just interpret this as like a spark. Spark. What yeah. You, just like I, that oh, moment I'm, of like. I, I'm only talking about when they're in the water of life. Oh, portion. in the water of life. Yeah, yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah, no, no. Totally right. Anytime outside of water of life, it is just a spark and a presence. Yeah. It's sort of like a hyper awareness of one another in this space. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So. Uh, Colossian past are touching. Jessica and Hara, they exchange this sort of formal greeting, and it does really seem like it's done mechanically, uh, where Jessica says, like, Subaka Ulkuna, Hara, this night finds you well. And Hara responds, Subaka Unar, I am well. And the words were almost toneless. And again, 
are aside. Like it's just that's just how you uh yeah. Greet one another. Well, sort of in that she's part of Paul's house. It was sort of like why that formal bit was given. Um, ah. And though, because like this is so like, it's meaningless, right? It's very yeah. hollow between them. Aaliyah is just like, hee hee hee. Like kind of <laughs> Jessica can sense amusement from Aaliyah. She's like, you guys are stupid. And like, I'm glad I'm the kid here. Or pretending to be yeah. a kid here. It's like, I don't have to do that. And I'm only two. Yeah. And Aaliyah says, my brother's Ganima is annoyed with me in her little half lisp. And How, can you do it in a half lisp? Uh, oh, you know what? It's, I I think I can. My boy, that's Ganima. It's annoying me. <laughs> <laughs> Was that all right? <laughs> it's yeah, it's fine. Okay. Do you know what that is? No. That's my Mike Tyson. <laughs> it's your Mike Tyson. Yeah, it's my Mike Tyson. My boy, that's Ganima. It's annoying me. All right. <laughs> That's, that's going to be the Aaliyah voice. Oh, now God. On. I don't know if I like that. <laughs> well, you started it. You... Now, this term is uh, using Ganema is used by Aaliyah to kind of to needle Hara a little bit, right? She's trying mm-hmm. to provoke her. Yeah, yeah, yeah. her. But you're not going to get under Hara's skin. Hara knows what she's doing. She's probably done this a lot. <laughs> it's been two years. Yeah. Like, I know your trick, and that's your one joke. Yeah. Um, but I thought it was interesting to highlight for us the definition of the word, uh, where I don't think I remember this connotation to it, that it is um, an item no longer used for its original purpose. So, like, you win it in battle, and you use it as, like, a trophy now, and it sort of, like, cheapens it and makes it ceremonial. And making that comment towards Tara. Mm. The example they give us is a spearhead used as a curtain rod. Generally not how I retrofit my living room. No, I was thinking, like, a, a maker hook used as a coat rack. Uh, other options here, you know, we could have gone with. Yeah, yeah. Uh, it's got that curve to it. It's perfect. Now, Hara doesn't take the bait, like we were saying. Mm-hmm. Uh, she tells Aaliyah, like, I know my place. Don't even try to scream. Like, Aaliyah, what'd you do this time? Mm-hmm. And uh, as we see, Hara, we're going to learn, she's already made plans for her future, too. Like, she has everything mapped out. Yeah, like, yeah. don't play with Hara. This girl is organized. And like you said, Jessica asks Aaliyah, like, what have you done? And uh, Hara tells her, though, that Aaliyah refused to play with the other children and that she intruded on the birthing ceremony. Mm-hmm. Now, Aaliyah takes over from there <laughs> to describe that, uh, no, no, no. She, um, she was there and she described Subie's baby crying. And at that point, with his baby's like bawling, Aaliyah kind of ran up and she touched the baby and it mm-hmm. stopped crying. Now, for the Fremen, it's very important that you get all your crying out on day one. Yeah, because, well, I mean, one, you can't control it at that age. You don't know what the customs are. Well, and oh, you need to cry uh, to open your lungs up when you're first born. Oh, I didn't know you're, that. Yeah, your lungs are collapsed. And, oh, uh, God. Well, it, hey, you were in fluid, Mike. Yeah, like, yeah. You weren't no, breathing it makes before. sense. It makes sense. Yep. And uh, there is actually, there was a scientist who was trying to figure out before, um, this is, I don't remember, this is really sad of like, there were a lot of number of baby deaths of like infant mortality, right? It's trying to bring that number down, right? Mm-hmm. Part of it was like, um, I believe preborn babies not being able to breathe. And so through this red of science, he had to figure out um, with the lungs of a baby, the air that they can breathe in is not physically enough pressure to inflate the lungs. So he's like, what the hell? That's really weird. Like, this doesn't add up. Mm-hmm. There is a chemical in our lungs. It's like this, like, uh, oil that kind of, like, lines them, and it just makes them all separate faster. So there's no, like, tactile oh. that you're kind of overwhelming that, like, those babies didn't have. He ended up solving this problem and was able to, like, basically save millions of babies over the years since then. Jeez. This has been, like, I think, like, 50, 60 years since his discovery of this. Uh, but super gnarly. So... 
That's why you got to make a baby breathe when they first come out. That's why we spank the baby and it gets their lungs open. And then it lets you know so many things or you're just like, this baby's operational, essentially. Like, by them crying, you it's like just a test, Mike. And you run out, so many diagnostics are proven by the baby crying, is all you I'm saying. It, make it sound like a Russian sleeper agent. <laughs> His baby's been activated. <laughs> he's, he's good. Deploy, deploy. <laughs> baby facts! Asterisks, those might not be true. <laughs> no, I'm pretty sure, pretty sure. Okay. So, uh, where were we just off then, Mike? Um, Subia's baby crying. Yeah, we're we're seeing what uh, Aaliyah said. Right, and so the Fremen, they got to get it all out, and I just love them saying, like, look, we're not going to have time when you grow up, kids, so you got to cry now. But yeah. certainly the point you're saying, Subia's like, baby is uh, a boy, healthy looking. Uh-huh. Uh, you know, he's cried enough. I went over, touched him, stopped crying. Mm-hmm. So Hara kind of continues. Of like, she came out and touched him, and he stopped crying. Everyone knows a Fremen baby must get his crying done if he's in Siege because he can never cry again lest he betray us on Hajra. Like a little journey of meeting. And uh, Aliyah's just saying, like, no, I just wanted to feel his spark. You know, it's like, oh. That's something so only her would really understand, right? And the thing is, though, like, she did. She did feel his spark. And then she tells him, like, once he felt mine, he didn't want to cry anymore. It's the same as uh, her and Jessica. Yeah, a little bit. Or, like, I could definitely see maybe Aaliyah approaching it that way. Of just, like, I know what you want to hear because I've been there. Right. I mean, like, like, there's uh, empathy there. Yeah. She's been through that exact same thing. Yeah. I mean, worse even. Much worse. Much Much worse. worse. The baby doesn't know what's happening. (laughs) Like, yeah. Whatever its consciousness is, however we're describing this. But uh, but the, the Fremen weren't really upset about that. Right. Hara says it just prov- uh, provided more talk among the people. And Jessica, she starts to see something is troubling Hara here, and she wonders at it. Uh, which I'm like, oh, man, you're, again, I mean, I assume she's doing this narratively, but, like, clearly you're missing the point. Hara just told you what the point was. The only thing she cares about is people talking about Aaliyah. Because she cares about Aaliyah. And that's going to be all this is, is less realizing more and more, like, no, Hara's 100% devoted to, like, yeah. the preservation of this girl because she sees Paul as her brother now. Yeah. Like, they are a family. Mm-hmm. It is just a clear-cut bond that it's, like, she would never question that it ever existed. Right, like, It right. always was. So, Jessica, um, she tries to address this. Um and then uh, addresses it head on with Hera, right? And I imagine they can be quite candid at times with one another, but it's sort of like Jessica brings up: "Is it the strangeness of my daughter? Is it, is that it?" And like, no, no, it's just like, no. how does any like? We ultimately learn that Aaliyah was describing like, "Oh, the baby looks just like blah 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 on Bella Tagoose." Yeah, yeah. It's like, how does a two year old know that? What someone looked like on Bella Tagoose. Mm-hmm. It's not okay. And and once you bring that up, and uh, Aaliyah is sort of like, no, no, it does. Subaru's boy <laughs> looks just like the son of Mitha, born before the parting. <laughs> and Jessica's like, Aaliyah, I warned you. We're like cutting right into that. But I love how much um, Hara dismisses Jessica's first thing of like, no, it's not the weird Benny. Je- I understand all this stuff. Like, mm-hmm. I know why she has these memories. I know why she does these weird trainings. It's this aspect of it. Like, you can't just say people. that. <laughs> yeah, we need to cover this up a little bit. And uh, Jessica, because she sees the signs of disturbance all over Hara's face, and she thinks to herself, what have I borne? Maybe Leah's streets ahead. 
<laughs> I think so. If you're not streets ahead, you're streets behind. <laughs> now, Ahara next brings up the exercises Aaliyah does at the edge of the desert, and that's used Bene Gesserit trainings. And Hara, uh, Jessica tells Hara, come on now, you know exactly what these are. And Hara pushes back of like, look, it's like, I'm not speaking for me when I'm saying this. I'm speaking for like how the tribe views this. When I tell you it's weird she does this, it's not that I don't understand. Like, you need to understand it's me. Like, <laughs> I don't have a problem with this. Yeah. I just see her just clapping this out <laughs> as she goes. I'm like, let me tell you something. And honestly, Jessica, you need to hear it. So she tells her, Reverend Mother, you know these things don't matter to me. It's the people and the way they mutter. I feel danger in it. They say your daughter is a demon, that their children refuse to play with her. And that's a good reversal yeah. where we were just at, right? That she's, and she cuts off at Jessica saying, she's little in common. She's no demon. And Hara now snaps. Like, of course she's not. Hara is going to have this gurney thread through her. Instead you of know, Oh my god. Yeah. She's like the Fremen gurney. Yeah, instead of Lad and Sir for Paul, it's you best not disrespect Aaliyah. And yeah. that's all it comes down to. <laughs> you will not refer to her ladyship her, as her demon. mom calls her a demon. Like, you know, of course she's not. And like Jessica is surprised at Harris, like the harshness in Harris' tone. There's like venom in there. Yeah. And now Jessica sort of looks down at Aaliyah. Aaliyah appears lost in thought, radiating a sense of waiting. Now, like, what do you think Aaliyah's doing this whole time? I don't even know. Neither do I. Um, Maybe, do you think Aaliyah has, like, a, a bit of truth sense? Uh, maybe. Maybe. I don't know. Yeah. Because like. she mentioned earlier, like, I saw it and it was true kind of thing. So, Well, yeah, yeah but that I think that is, like, I saw it. True, true. And she's telling you, like, because, like, of all, the only two people that would know are going to be her and Jessica. Look in your memory. Like, we both got the same back channel here. Um, so, yeah, I'm unsure either of she's doing. I, mean, I was thinking kind of reflecting back maybe in her Bene Gesserit line. Maybe. Could be the oh, only maybe. place she could go. But where does it say that? Again, Leah stirred beside her half sleeping. Half sleeping. Are you sure she's a Trades? Half, yeah. Half okay. Oh, half. Mike, <laughs> let me rephrase it for you. Half awake. <laughs> okay. <laughs> okay. <laughs> yeah um so this continues we're gonna have another uh instance of this so as jessica tells hara to speak openly with her since she is a member of paul's household Aaliyah stirs against jessica's hand hara hara responds that uh she will not be part of the house much longer because again she's got these plans mm. she's gonna be hooking up with stilgar shacking up in tharthar's house soon yeah um and that she's remained this long only for her children's special training from paul now, I told you last chapter, we touched into Bahara a little bit, right? Mm -hmm. And why she stuck on as a servant when Paul right. had a, there was a cutoff of a year. That was for Paul to make that choice. After that, Hara could leave if she wanted to. Right, right, right. It's basically like they each have an open, well, actually, I think Paul's window's closed. I think she, Paul can't dismiss yeah, her yeah, as a servant. Yeah, he had a year to choose. But she can peace out at any moment. Now, if she marries Stilgar, mm -hmm. um... What's Paul's responsibility for... Uh, he will always have partial responsibility for her children. That's what I figured. So sh couldn't she have done that anyways, and he still would have... The, she, I think, just wanted 
training as like the son of the head instructor. Oh, gotcha. Instead I, of being like, I think it's the prestige. Like, remember how seriously Orloff and Caleb took it when they showed up with their knives on hands, mm-hmm. and they were like, "I another fremen, like mess with my dad. Do it, do it. <laughs> like, step up. <laughs> Kids don't come, come down, come down. Like they they were really proud of their role. Like, yeah. Again, your dad, your they were the honor guard. I was like, yeah, your your stepdad's the messiah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I can see why Hara wants to let them have that for as long as possible. Because mm-hmm, mm-hmm. it's it's not like there's any pressing reason to join Stilgar's house. Right, right, right. All that it's going to give her, I think, is like maybe some personal satisfaction and a little more purpose in her life. Right. Where she won't feel as an accessory to like this young man who's starting a new right. life. Right. But it's also nice to know that like uh, it's not just for that reason. She's come to sort of like see as a brother yeah I, and I, especially I, with Aaliyah, like that's her little niece yeah yeah i i love the the revelation that she views paul as a brother is really cool yeah of just, or like even niece like sister i guess at that point sister yeah yeah, yeah. but just that yeah she's looking yeah. over her you got the age difference for it um but yeah great catch on there and with this Aaliyah stirs again now jessica tells hara she would have made a good companion and jessica thinks to herself companion not wife god she gets so hung up on that yeah she does like clearly it bothers you woman yeah (laughs) i think you need to talk to hara about this and this would be a better conversation to have (gasps) like let me tell you about when i was never (laughs) married um jessica then confronts an issue uh to her that talk of the ch is that cheney's relationship is permanent a marriage Ooh. And then uh, she tells herself that she loves Cheney, but a royal marriage will have to happen. This is like, again, the same thing she can't let go, right? You really think you still have this control over Paul. Right. right. I really don't think you do anymore. <laughs> like, I think that ship is. Paul failed. doesn't have control over Paul. Let's be honest here. No, no, uh, no, not really. Never has. <laughs> he doesn't. He have, wigs out during snack say, time. He doesn't have control over yeah. breakfast. Like, <laughs> this man loses it every day for two years. Um, but that, that we've had a couple chapters now where Jessica has to tell us she loves JD. I'm like, mm. if you got to keep saying it, I don't believe you. <laughs> That's a really good point. There's a lot of like, always with a little asterisk next to it, but. It's like, you're trying to convince Jessica. Yeah, exactly. You're trying to convince yourself. So Hara, she cuts through Jessica's thoughts. This is all internal to Jessica. Mm-hmm. She, Hara says, I know what you uh, plan for Paul. You plan to unite the tribes under him. And if you look on that text, that is a capital H. That mm. is this proverbial him. This is him as the god, as a figure. The one I mean, he's going to be almost on par with Shai Halud. Yeah. More, I would say the best uh, draw is like he is the new Liet. Yeah. Right? That every Fremen serve. Mm-hmm. Like we're putting him into that station. Um, and I think Hara might have seen something in like the Tao, that oneness. I wonder if she got oh, like, that's a, a, good like a taste of it from there. Because everything she's addressing, like she's dead on. And she's getting a sense of, like, currents that only Paul and Jessica really have a feel for up till now. But Hara, like, intuitively grasps every bit of this. Right. Yeah. And uh, specifically, so why I say the Tao potentially, she says, I see danger for him. And Aaliyah is part of that danger. That's so vague. That's so, like, I don't know what she means. And she doesn't really 
understand or can't really fully form But that's it into a words. thought that everyone seems to be having. Like mm-hmm. Jessica, I think, has had that thought. Yep. Paul has had that thought. And I feel like Jessica is from the series of spies she had. She had all those, that network get back right. to her. And that's where she's piecing all this information together. Paul is sort of like from his prescient vision, right? Hara is the only one who doesn't have a superpower to get this information, <laughs> but she does it. Uh, and I wonder if Aaliyah saw the same future. Because what we're going to get from Ooh, Aaliyah yeah. coming down here is like, we need Hara. And that's her reviewing things. Now, do you have a question? Maybe mind? she has a little bit of a future sight there. That's why she was sort of in that half sleep thinking about things. When was Hara half asleep? Not Hara, uh, oh. Aaliyah. Oh, Aaliyah. Yeah, yeah. It's yeah, like, yeah. mom, gotcha. no, no, we need her. Trust me. So she's like, ah, yeah. I just saw the trailer, like, comes out in a year. <laughs> I, got, I got a little inkling of a feeling here. <laughs> Um, Hara continues this on with um, saying that she's seen her and Jessica together. And this is her, like, I believe her credentials for why, like, she is so much on this family side and how understanding she is of, like, everything going on. Because, like, I've watched you two together, the way you touch. And Aaliyah is like my own flesh because she's sister to one who is like my brother. I've watched over her and guarded her from the time she was a mere baby, from the time of the Razia when we fled here. I've mm. seen many things about her. So within that line, uh, let alone that is how I um, determine, like, we've come here right before the Sadakar attacked right. Rasiyat. And I have no idea what that timetable is. Um, and that she understands the link between Aaliyah and Jessica so well. Right. And then underlines it all with, like, she is sister to one who is like my brother. Really cool. I mean, last time we saw her and Paul together, she was trying to sleep with him. She really <laughs> try. Well, you gotta really just pin it down right then and there. You gotta make your stand. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Before you get friend zoned, she made sure. Uh, God bless her for that. Now, with this, Hara, uh, Jessica can feel disquiet in Aaliyah now. Stirring kind of again. Hara continues to tell Jessica she knows uh, what all this means about Aaliyah. There has never been a baby like this. <laughs> like, yeah, yep. Water discipline so young. Her first words were a complete sentence. I love you, Hara. <laughs> oh, do I got to do it in the lisp? I love you, Hara. <laughs> That's, it's the same thing. Same thing? Okay. It's the same picture. All right. <laughs> and uh, what I can't do, did say, um, I did look in the encyclopedia. I don't have anything to really give you from Aaliyah's biography other than what we say pretty much right here in this chapter. Oh, really? The only little bit was that, um, you know how we went to the water rites? You Mm -hmm. uh, drink the water of conception. Right. We take out of like the placenta when they reduce it down. Right, right, right. Aaliyah like took that and drank it. Oh my God. I'm just like, she knew what was going on. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. So like you can imagine the baby like consciously like (laughs) helping you tip it back or something. (laughs) Like very aware of what was going on. And like she was looking around the room with like Mm. alertness in her eyes to everyone. Um, Then um, the water discipline so young. The encyclopedia tells me that by eight months, one, she was walking, which is not natural. Mm -hmm. And she was already doing the discipline, the still suit, everything. At eight months, she had water discipline down. Gnarly. I now, love this. The Now the exchange is almost like not just between Lady Jessica and uh, Hara, but also Aaliyah. Because Hara stares at Aaliyah. She's like, why do you think I accept her insults? I know she doesn't mean anything evil by them. 
Aaliyah looks up at her mom, like, okay. <laughs> yeah, uh, she sees her man, <laughs> knowing the game is up. Um, and th- this is where I feel like uh, Hara kind of drops it. She could have been Sayadina through all of this, too, right? Yeah. Uh, like, I know the ways. I know why this is. Uh, and Jessica is sort of, like, speechless after this outpouring from yeah. Hara. Hara's, like, laying it all on the line right now. And there is just so much concern for Aaliyah's future in the tribe. Um, if they can't properly explain her to the people. And, like, again, how Hara knows that Jessica is, like, manipulating the tribes to, like, work them all underneath Paul yeah. and stuff. Like, Hara sees all of this. And uh, Hara would have a better idea of the unknown variables being created by all these plans within plans, I think, if you included her. Of, like, why don't you bring her into council? Right. Because uh, clearly, I think that this is part of maybe the point she's trying to make is that, like, she understands the people better. And it's, like, saying, like, you keep making this problem worse. Do you by think like, this is a subtle appeal to Lady Jessica? Kind of, for, like, Aaliyah's sake of, mm. like, yeah, get your shit together. Like, <laughs> I see this problem, and I'm telling you about it. And now with this, Aaliyah speaks up, and she says, we made a mistake. We need Hara. Oh. And that, to me, like, that is, like, ooh, that cuts through the whole chapter for me. It makes me, like, stop right there to be, like, Wait, and this is why I was so like, what is Aaliyah doing while she's stirring there? She's running through some serious processes. If she's turning to the Sayadina, her mother, this reverend mother, and being like, our plan has an error. We need to incorporate Hara into our plan. Oh, uh... Do you think that uh, when Aaliyah was sort of like in that half sleep, it was the Adab? No, you can't go into the Adab. The Adab comes over you. Yeah, do you think it was like or came over her of like something triggering it? Yeah, yeah. I mean, I guess sure, maybe. I don't know what it would be that you would think the Bene Gesserit would have pre-planted that could have helped her though. I don't know, subterfuge, got, espionage. Oh, oh, wait, wait, no. There, there's the off chance that she doesn't have just because she has Jessica's memories. I don't know if you would get the adopt because remember that was like uh, hypno entranced into you. Well, it's it's still in her mind. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It was hey, an exchange no, of consciousness, uh, No, right? no, I'll give you. I, d- I don't know if you get a bootleg copy. If it, like, <laughs> will it trigger when it's it, supposed to? It's still got bonus features, <laughs> it Derek. Does, it does, yeah, yeah. She can still play it. She's got to find the scene. Uh, yeah, I don't know. Like, it could be something in there. But, like, I was entertaining the same notion of, like, being in that Benny Gesserit, like, memory line. Right. right. Yeah, was she digging around for something uh, and then realized it? But nonetheless, so she comes out being like, we need this woman. This, mm-hmm. is this, girl, this girl's sharp. And uh, there was a brief exchange, but it's ultimately Hara who explains what she will do, which yeah. is even great. Like, you're like, we need her for a plan. And I was like, I'll tell you what you need me for. <laughs> you need me for this. And uh, you have a job opening and I'm applying. <laughs> Let me tell you about it. She is going to go and tell them the truth, meaning like the tribe, the greater people, right? That Aaliyah pretends to be a little girl. She has never been a little girl. And this hits Aaliyah pretty hard. Aaliyah starts to cry at this. And I don't know if it's just like someone showing sympathy or maybe uh, just having your problems kind of like pulled out into the open. It could be a little column A, column B. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah, I guess. And it doesn't have to be mutually exclusive. There's a lot going on. And she calls herself a freak, Aaliyah does. I'm a freak. She's going through teenage angst even early. Mike. I love Mama Bear Hara right oh, now. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Cuts right in. Who called you that? 
Yeah, Hara's going to go fuck somebody up right now. If you say a name, any name, yeah. Elia, Hara's not going to ask a follow-up. She's going to go find that Fremen. She's going to slap them sideways or stab them. Who knows? Yeah, yeah, it probably will be fatal, won't it? Um, and this is where Gurney, Gurney would like love this woman. It's like they are cut from the same cloth. Just all the young master, yeah. Yeah. Um, and... Uh, Ahara like tells her like who who's that Elia like no nobody and she's like you never say that then and I love we get this little this great little girl moment uh, Aaliyah used the corner of Jessica's adab to wipe the tears from her face she smoothed the rope where she had dampled or dampened and crumpled it oh I'm just like back good sorry mama I just needed that yep and then Hara tells her like you will never say that again. And uh, no one pushes back. I feel like that was accepted like law. <laughs> of, uh, yeah. You're not allowed to do that, Aaliyah. Uh, you're a lot of things, but you cannot do that. <laughs> and uh, now we go to this cool scene. And this is sort of what I re- uh, refer to as like Aaliyah's awakening. And she's going to tell us firsthand what that account was. On the and other side. On the Yeah, yeah. From like being that little moat form. And remember when Jessica and Paul were talking about Aaliyah? And Paul said like, I do know what she went through. And he mechanically sort of says like, the water of life, da 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 Jessica yeah. cuts him off. Like, you don't understand. This is the kind of thing I think he was reflecting on that Aaliyah would tell him in the future. Because they mm-hmm. do like have a, you know, they're brother and sister. They do well have a friendship that does right. get to exist uh regardless of whether or not they were normal kids they do get to like be a family at some mm-hmm. on some level and so Aaliyah tells us of one day i woke up it was like waking from sleep except that i could not remember going to sleep i was in a warm dark place and i was frightened now jessica is like listening to this and jessica is remembering that day in the cavern like how could you not but this was like really fundamental for both of you mm-hmm. When I was frightened, I tried to escape, but there was no way to escape. Then I saw a spark, but it, was exactly, it wasn't exactly like seeing it. The spark was just there with me, and I felt the spark's emotions soothing me, comforting me, telling me that way that everything would be all right. That was my mother. Now, Hara's rubbing her eyes at this point. Hara's crying. Everyone's Aaliyah's crying. Aaliyah's crying. Jessica's a little teared up. And Jessica is still actually appraising Hara at this point. Also, like, hmm. isn't uh, another Fremen taboo right there? Ooh, crying? Yeah. Ooh, well, well okay. they're, not, they're not technically crying. They're, like, rubbing their eyes. I was going to say, Hara, uh, Hara specifically, just the rubbing of the mm-hmm. eyes. I, I think the, the other two maybe could have a little praise. But, yeah, yeah. You think I'd say, uh, don't cry. Don't cry. That's mm-hmm. a sin. That's a sin. Or, ooh. Uh, but it did seem, I think, when Aaliyah, she actually does earlier, right? When she kind of... Yeah, she... I think she does cry. Something comes up a little bit. Yeah. Kinda, yeah. She's, she's still tears. Yeah, Aaliyah's the corner of Jessica's abato oh, yeah. the tears from her Dampened face. Dampened it. Yeah, you got to wring that out later, probably. We can get that water back. <laughs> we can't just let that sit, Mike. <laughs> um... Now we know we got to write Aaliyah up when we're done with this chapter. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we got to report this file. Um... So Jessica is actually still appraising Hara at this point. She's eyeing her over while Aaliyah is recounting the story. And by the look of Hara's eyes, Jessica's question, uh, Jessica questions if she could really know what Hara is thinking. And I think it's sort of like uh, evolving, what would it be, appreciation of Hara's cunning. 
Like, I think she's starting to see Hara as more of an equal or give her a little more slack. More credence. Yeah. I'm just like, this woman is capable of something that I did not think of before. Mm -hmm. Like, this was just the companion to my son before. You know, Aaliyah's nurse. That was it. But now it's like, no, there's something really more here because Hara is sharp. And Aaliyah continues. Just when I felt safe and reassured, there was another spark with us and everything was happening at once. The other spark was old Reverend Mother. She was trading lives with my mother. Everything. And I was there with them, seeing it all. Everything. And it was over. And I was them and all the others and myself. Only it took me a long time to find myself again. There were so many others. Like Jessica just have a little statement there, and Aaliyah finishes off with, I couldn't do anything else. I don't know how to reject or hide my consciousness or shut it off. Everything just happened. Everything. That is intense. Of like That was not what it was like from Jessica's side, oh. right? <clears throat> and interestingly, part I cue into the most is um, uh, it was all over, and I was them. And all the others and myself. Only it took me a long time to find myself again. So when... Uh, well, she got lost in all of that. Yeah, we're going to go over this a lot, especially in the future books, Mike, of like what this Bene Gesserit line is actually like. And it's sort of like a collection of ghosts in your head. And they're all vying for a chance to sort of like peer through your eyes. They all want to live again. They all don't get life anymore. They want to, though. That's their natural state. That's what they yearn for. So for her, pre, like before she's born, this consciousness, no one can look. There are no eyes to look through. There's no body to like take mm-hmm. over, right? That it's just all riling. And maybe, just maybe, Mike, what if Aaliyah never made it back? You don't think so? Oh, I mean, if she did. Oh, <laughs> yeah. I'll tell you. Well, the, or at the, outer limits, at the very you least, Frank did not entertain this idea. Are you sure? Yeah. Okay. Uh, well, I, I mean, I, I would, I wouldn't bring this up if like Aaliyah's like split personality and she never was born, and this has been Gaius Helmahayim the whole time. That'd be weird. But just like um, within all the consciousnesses, how would you ever know? How would Aaliyah ever know? I don't know. Yeah. Yeah, wild. But uh, it's just a, another, like, um, super metaphysical state that we're kind of getting in with Bene Gesserit. We're like, there's no science for that. Right, right, right. That's, that's wacky We're just wild. making it up. Yeah, but very cool. She is lost in these consciousness. So, I'm uh, sorry, doubling back to, like, explaining that in the future books, we will see, like, these consciousness are all there. And um, you part of what a reverend mother has to do is they can't ever be too dependent on them because it's a weakness and those like thoughts will try to bust through and whatnot you got to hold them back a little bit so that you keep a sense of your own so like there is a almost some pseudo possession yeah 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 yeah. oh yeah definitely uh and then i think you and i could probably spend a good amount of time talking about like well is it an actual spirit or (laughs) well like remember how we rationalize how it's in your brain of like i don't know what to make of that really (laughs) Because, like, they're not ghosts by any means. Right. Like, we have a rational reason for or explanation of what's in your head. It's really weird, really interesting. Your consciousness has to fight a little bit. So, Hara is going to take us off this tangent of Leah, and she tells Leah, like, uh, they didn't know. 
And this is just meaning Jessica's pregnancy. And this is going to be like the uh, knee-jerk reaction apology to Aaliyah. Like, oh my God, we wouldn't have done that to you if we knew you were here. Or Hara's is like apologizing. She's doing the same thing Romalo did. I'm yeah. just like, Jesus lady. Like, We can blame Jessica for this. Yes, we can. We yes, can all turn to <laughs> yes, Jessica and give her a strong evil eye. I'm like, you knew. Ma'am, why are you drinking? <laughs> <laughs> for my son? <laughs> Now, Aaliyah reassures reassures her that this was a happy thing because it gave the tribe two reverend mothers. That's Mm. very strong evidence that this girl, born Fremen, grew up Fremen. Yeah. Right? That's an appreciation of Fremen ways through and through. Um, But she cuts herself off and she tilts her head and she listens. This is Aaliyah, right? Yeah. Hara tries to continue talking and Hara goes, uh, Aaliyah goes, shh. She shuts her up because... It's time for the nightly prayer. Yeah, 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 yeah. Another rhythmic chanting goes through the corridors, and we observe a Fremen ceremony. Uh, they take the time to remember uh, personal family losses. So Jessica gives us what I think is the ritualistic. Like, you probably always say these words. Mm-hmm. It was Ramadan in April on Bella Tegues. Oh, so we are on Bella Tegues. Ah. Uh, but the fact that Harakatsu with my family sat in the pool courtyard in air bathed by the moisture that arose from the spray of a fountain. There was a tree of porticles, round and deep in color, near at hand. There was a basket with mishmish and baklava and mugs of Liban, all manner of good things to eat. In our gardens and in our flocks, there was peace, peace in all the land. And all manner of glossy words we've gone Hell over. Hell yeah, porticles. Porticles. Oranges, right? Oranges, yes, yes. Mishmish? Mishmish apricots. Correct. Baklava. Baklava? Pretty much just baklava. Pretty much, yeah. <laughs> Chocolatey, bready goodness. Except without the chocolate. Oh, was it, was it spice? Yeah, it's like, it's like honey. honey. Yeah. Okay, okay. Uh, a sweetness, nonetheless. Right. And then, uh, did we do Laban? No, I think we okay. did, but see I if, forgot. Uh, see if that's in the back there. That one didn't stand out to me of like uh, as that familiar. Like, but certainly mishmish are being a lot of fun. Uh, and baklava, because I was so close. Um, oh, of course we did. Uh, I th- think this was B2D that we did it, though. Uh, spice water infused with yucca flour, originally a sour milk drink. Oh. You thought sour milk was the weirdest and grossest thing until I told you it was like, it's kind of like yogurt in a way. Yep. You're like, oh, right. <laughs> yeah. Sounds delicious. I'm yeah. down. <laughs> Very good. Uh, yeah, so that's all that was there. And I, I just don't know. I feel like that was like her personal family is what I like to think of that. And then I, I since they knew they never want to forgive, never forget, I feel like you would keep this personal log and everyone mm-hmm. would pass it down to the next to be like, this is what we remember. This is what we do not forget. Now, life was full of happiness until the Raiders came. Blood. Fire Nation. <laughs> is that how that went down? <laughs> yeah. Blood ran cold at the scream of friends, Jessica said, and she felt the memories rushing through her out of all those other pasts she shared. La, 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 the women cried, said Hara. The raiders came through the mushtamal. Yeah. Rushing at us with their knives dripping red from the lives of all of our men. The Mushtamal. So that was the room off to the side, right? Uh, the garden annex? Like, Yeah, like the garden annex. Yeah. Love it. Uh, oh, they came in through the garden. Why? They trampled all our flowers. Now, then a silence is shared through the entire CH mic. That must be, like, really moving. Just to hear yeah. everything just stop. Every night, too. Mm-hmm. At the same time. And, uh... Then this ends with Hara uttering the final words of our uh, little prayer. Mm-hmm. 
we will never forgive and we will never forget. She says it with that trademark harshness that only horror can put into words. Where Jessica's just like, God damn. Yeah. Don't be on the other end of a fight with this woman. And now I reflect back to remember Cheney being like, and they could even fight Hara? Like, they're lucky they didn't fight Hara. <laughs> You're lucky you didn't fight Hara. <laughs> Good God. Hara's about to stab someone over insulting a baby. Oh, yeah. <laughs> like, dude. Who, like, to be fair, they have reason to insult. That's a weird baby. It is a weird baby. <laughs> yeah. But we have a new character that's going to enter the scene, Mike. Curtains part. Enter. Darthar. Tharthar, this is the first time we actually meet her. Yes, it is. And uh, a voice interrupts them. Jessica, Jessica recognizes it as Tharthar, wife of Stilgar, as we know. So when we did our encyclopedia rundown of the backstory of Stilgar, uh, do you remember his other wife's name? Tharthar is the second. I can't remember. It is Misra. Misra. Misra was like godmother to Cheney. Gotcha, that's right. And so Tartar, uh, she's been his wife. Uh, it was 101.68. So oh, we're in like 91, I guess. So mm. it's been like a good 25 a years. And um, yeah. And, oh, uh, Tartar gave birth to Kala. And that's uh, one of Stilgar's daughters. Ah. Oh, I don't think she's going to show up, but it's a little encyclopedia bit we can drop That's in really there. cool. Yeah. I'm glad that they introduced her as Tharthar and one of Stilgar's wives instead of one of Stilgar's wives, Tharthar. I don't know Okay, why. okay, okay. <laughs> I was like, what is the difference? Oh, yes. <laughs> yes. <laughs> There's a little bit of a difference there. There's a difference that a man might not catch. <laughs> <laughs> yes. I think it's a great point. And kind of like uh, even the beginning, um, Hara says she's joining Tharthar's house. Yeah. And then says she's marrying Stilgar, mm-hmm. right? Like, we do Kramen in that way, too. Um, now, Tharthar comes in, though. She's like, there's trouble. And right away, Jessica's just like, oh, Paul? And the Bechdel test goes out the window. <laughs> <laughs> we were so close. We were so close. I <laughs> deliberately did. <laughs> <laughs> oh, damn it. Well, it's going to have a different connotation now. <laughs> yes, it is. <laughs> I deliberately was a dick. <laughs> But Paul is meeting his maker today, which we kind of already knew, and his success is guaranteed. That's the terrible part. Mm -hmm. That's the trouble. The young men will want to raid with Paul in the north and force him to call out Stilgar. Jessica has a thought then of like, um, the young men, they're no longer satisfied gathering water, planting dunes. Those small raids aren't enough anymore. They can feel their strength growing. This is like, um, I think it was just the last chapter we had, uh, when you put politics and religion in the same cart, it starts going faster and faster mm-hmm. and faster. We're at that acceleration period. Tharthar is very unnerved by this. She um, sways from one foot to another. She can't really stand still right now. She was very nervous, Ooh. even kind of coming here. She's not one of these very disciplined women like uh, Hara or, well, like Hara has shown herself to be, and like Jessica and Aaliyah, who have the Bene Gesserit training. Like, she's going to wear her emotions on her sleeve. Now, we do get this reveal that Jessica and Stilgar have both seen this coming. This isn't news to her. She's ready for this. And it seems like her and Stilgar, if both of them know it's coming, that means both of them have a plan. These aren't two people that it would be like, well, I know this is a thing, so I'm not going to think about it at all. Like, I bet they've probably met together and thought about something. You get any vibes? You have any sense of... Now, I'm not... I got no text, Mike. This is just my gut my gut instinct for how I feel this went down. Like, well, uh, I'm sorry. Do you think, like, uh, Stilgar and Jessica would be in league on this at all? Possibly. 
I mean, yeah, I would say so. Based off of the conversations with one another in the past, they've always been on the same page. It's like that deep sense of mutual respect that they both had from like the first night, right? Uh, that sidebar conversation where Stilgar was like right away, like, do we need to get married? No? All right. Put a door seal up. <laughs> yeah. Like, move it along. Move yeah. it along. Yeah. But, uh, okay, the way I see this is that So the men are coming up to meet Usul, and they're going to say, like, hey, you're going to be our leader. You need to call out Stilgar. Mm-hmm. Paul's not going to want to do that, probably. Okay. I don't. I mean, he may already have some sense of what's going to happen yeah. in the future. He may already accept the fact that, like, maybe that's something that is going to have to happen. Um, do you think this is a, sort of a plan by Jessica and Stilgar for Paul to succeed? Or uh, secede? And to sort of take over the uh, Fremen. For wait, wait, for Paul to secede? Yeah, or not? That's the wrong word. Yeah, uh, it is entirely ascend. Wrong. Okay, but like in what form? Over Stilgar's dead body, or yeah, I don't know if he would need to do that though, because Leah didn't have to do that. But, yeah, I guess that's kind of true. But I, don't know. I, I mean, Paul's no Liet, right? Paul, Paul is, is true. One, I guess I would also say Liet was a Fremen. True. That's all. I think true. I think I gave him a, that made it a lot easier mm-hmm. to convince everybody. Uh, we've been Cheney has been killing people recently, you know, as recent as at least a year ago or whatever, uh, to keep people at bay. I guess it comes down to what's better for the tribe at this point. Mm-hmm. That would always be the strongest argument in any Fremen conversation, too. Right. Like, if you could frame this to be for the betterment of the tribe, that is an incredibly powerful argument to make in Fremen culture. I don't think it'd be for the betterment of the tribe, though. I think Stilgar has, still has, like, a very poignant place within the tribe. Mm-hmm. I mean, in a way, though, so did his master. Or well, his naive back in the day. Mm-hmm. The only reason he overthrew him was to, like, push Pardot's dream because they were infected with a new idea. The Fremen culture was changed by Pardot. I think only if Stilgar and Paul were in divergent paths, mm-hmm. then you would have uh, the Fremen sort of being like, no, no, Usal, we got to do this. So until we meet that thumper in the road. Yeah. yeah. That uh-huh. thumper in the road. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Uh okay, very cool. Very cool. There's a thump from the road. You get out of the goddamn road. You all run. Everyone <laughs> to the closest rock and you trip one person. That's the my great great uncle taught me one lesson, Mike. When you're running in the woods, if a bear is chasing you, you don't need to be the fastest, Derek. You just trip the slowest. <laughs> That's why Furk always has the broom just to knock someone over. It's like I'm sorry. Oh, I got a Farouk theory theory for you too today. Oh, we're gonna get, I think I know who taught him how to sweep. <laughs> what? I know, wild, <laughs> but I'm pretty sure I found it. All right, all right, all right. Carrying on. Now, even Tharthar's brother, Shob, um, which is a strange place to jump back into, yeah. uh, he is saying that Usol will have no choice but to challenge Stilgar. And, like, I, and what is, is this, like a letter? How did this get conveyed? <laughs> That's like, you're telling your sister, hey, my brother-in-law, I know, I know, he's your husband, but, like, I might have to turn on him. Um, he might be dead soon. Uh, oh. Just saying, sis, keep your keep your prospects <laughs> open. Oh my God. Like, show up. What the hell, man? <laughs> Choose a side. Now, Jessica knows the Reverend Mother. She also can't interfere with succession. 
So this is going to get to the point oh. I told you before. Paul's going to have to handle this on his own. Tharthar comes in. She presents this. Jessica's in a place to be like, I can't really do much. It's too late, right? But whatever we have planned, so whatever Stilgar has in mind, whatever I have in mind, whatever Paul is thinking, that's going to be what takes its course. Now everything is already set, kind of in a way. Um, Aaliyah, though, gets up, and uh, with this, she declares that I will go, and I will listen to the young men then. Kind of go observe mm-hmm. them on behalf to figure out how they're really feeling about Moadib and Stilgar and this and that. And Jessica is going to tell her, all right, well, I'll report back ASAP, which brings us back to the word report. And I'm just like, so did you send her to the baby thing? Like, where the hell are we on all Fair. this? I don't have any better frame of reference, though, to give you. Um, but Jessica is going to ultimately frame this pitch as, like, the tribe needs all the strength can get. So it's kind of like what you were touching on then mm-hmm. of, like, how we're going to tell them. Like, maybe we need Stilgar alive. Maybe it's like the Sadokar rule. Don't kill your second best fighter. Right, right, we right. need him. Like, <laughs> At some point, we stop killing the good fighters, and we just keep everybody. Um, I, I feel like there's a plan here. On Jessica's ankle? Uh, well, Jessica, Paul, and Stilgar. Because if Paul didn't see this coming, I would be very surprised. That just happens to be where one of those blind spots is. Uh, yeah, well, <laughs> yeah. And then, uh, Although, you can hear it already, yeah. right? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, who, who knows? Who knows? Um, I Like I said... Next chapter, we're going to expand on this a lot because we're going to get Paul and Stilgar. And they're going to be in the same spot. Yep. So they're going to have to talk about it. It's going to be awkward if they don't. Um, but Jessica asks now, Hara, uh, will you go with them? Like with uh, Aaliyah and with Tharthar to go see these um, mm-hmm. these young men and kind of eavesdrop on them. And Tharthar, I'm sorry, Hara replies, uh, Tharthar will take care of Aaliyah just fine. And this is like, again, a kind of power move by Hara. Yeah. Like, no. Just flat out, like, <laughs> no. And um, then we go on and really uh, explicitly say, like, she is joining Tharthar's house, and thus she is marrying Stilgar. Right. And um, that made me think, Mike, you realize Paul could win Hara twice? <laughs> That's how you refresh that year. <laughs> Like, Loophole, Paul. Oh, it's gonna be a horror, like hand to f- palm to forehead kind of moment. Like, God, I can't escape this kid. <laughs> but uh, even Hara says that uh, if Muadib slays Stilgar, it will not serve the tribe. Yes, because again, she is looking at this from like the side. She is yeah. so big picture; it's amazing. She says, "Always before it has been the way of succession, but times have changed." That is that is not something that should be like um, almost acceptable for a fremen to say. That is anathema to their culture, right? Yeah, but she's grown. She up. recognizes it. I Nothing was, about this, like these past two years, has been normal. I was gonna say she's grown up very much in the Kynes era, where change is something, mm-hmm. and it's something that her generations particularly keyed in on. Why Stilgar overthrew his naive? They all bought into the stream. Change is something they are familiar with and they want and they yearn for. And now we're just seeing a better, like a better alternative to it, like a faster answer. And maybe it's like kind of driving her to make this decision. That's like one of the interesting paradoxical things about the Fremen is that they're so ingrained in tradition, but a lot of like their culture and tradition has stemmed from being able to adapt because they've had to adapt from world to world to world and always change in order to fit it. Mm -hmm. It's just kind of a weird thing to think about with the Fremen. 
Yeah. Yeah, yeah. It's this weird conservatism mixed with, like, uh, a constant need to change. Yeah. Uh, and the, the necessity. Yeah, yeah. Even more so. Uh, especially when it's, like, forced onto them. Mm-hmm. But And then you find they... Once they get in their ways, though, they just dig the sort of trench that they want to exist in, and they don't want to be pulled out of it. Like, this works. Mm-hmm. This will last forever if we just leave it this way. But change comes, and it always comes from the outside. Like you were saying, necessity, because people took them and moved them and forced right. forcefully. And now we're having people force them ways into the, the Fremen culture and change it from the inside. Now, the biggest thing here is everyone in this room and most of the Fremen know Paul is not going to lose that fight. Right. He challenges Stilgar. Even Stilgar knew that day one, let alone day like uh, 690 yeah. something. <laughs> like if you toy with me like that, though, I swear. Yeah. <laughs> you swear what? Yeah, you're going to still lose. Um, Hara asks Jessica, though, or rather tells her that uh, she thinks her jealous of Shaney. And like... Ooh. I love that she waits. She waits till Tharthar leaves again. Yeah. Waits till just the two of them. And I'm going to cut you so deep right now. <laughs> just like, this is the, I feel like this is almost like Hara telling you, this is the biggest problem I see with you. This is the thing I think you need to look at that you are just refusing to address, right? Hara reposts. Yeah, because Hara pities Cheney because she knows Jessica does not see her as wife to Paul Moadib. Oof. Oof, oof. Yep, talk about it. Hara, bring it in this chapter. I, I, I love it. Wait, and of both the women to cue in on someone not being accepted as a wife? Both of you have had this thrown yeah. at you. Like, oh, really all coming together. And um, Hara tells her, you could be right. If, uh, if you are, you may find a surprising ally, Chaney herself. She wants whatever is best for him. Again, in capital. In capital. Right, that is huge. That Cheney wants what's best for the myth, for the legend of Moadib. She's almost in it for all the wrong reasons in her relationship, right? Mm-hmm. Like where I told you, she was completely like almost in love with the Messiah. It's sort of like this figure. That's I I don't know how well she views it because we don't get her perception for it, but it's it's very strange. But she is totally on board with the image of him. And she sort of undermined that with, like, maybe that is why she put herself in the Sayadina role for his worm riding. So she could give him that advice. She gave him that advice during the fight with Jameis. Like, she's been really involved in shaping him that maybe we didn't give her credit for, right? That's a very good point. Now, Jessica swallowed past a sudden tightening in her throat. Chaney's very dear to me. She could be no, and she's cut off now. Hara comes in because Hara is a fucking boss. <laughs> and we're going to finish this chapter with the weirdest line ever. <laughs> Your rugs are very dirty in here, Hara said. She swept her graze around the floor, avoiding Jessica's eyes. So many people trampling through here all the time. You should really have them cleaned more often. That's the end of the chapter. Yeah. That is, like, I don't even know what to really make of that. This sort of, like, cutting in of, like, an undermining of, like, you're not taking care of your space. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right? And that's sort of, like, what she just told her with it's her also the way of the knife house. right there. What's that? The way of the knife. <laughs> like, like, oh, just like, conversation done. Done. Ah, <laughs> oh, that's good. That's really yeah. good. Maybe that's a better way to look at it. That's yeah. a very Fremen approach. Yeah, 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 no, yeah. no, this conversation's over. Uh, but ultimately, Mike, you know who I think taught for roof to sweep? Who? Hara. 
We're going to go you, through her backstory in our deep dive today. Oh, do we really? <laughs> yep. Oh, that's good. That's why I think she commented on the rugs in here. She okay. noticed it. This is something that I think she's got an ear for, or an eye for, rather. Um, all right, all right. But that brings us to the end of an amazing chapter, our only Bechtel test-worthy chapter, our ladies' night chapter. Is there anything I missed in there, or any other questions you have about either Tharthar, Aaliyah, Hara, Jessica? <sighs> Not at the moment. A question of like, where the fuck's Misra? Why didn't you come and poke your head in? I don't know. I don't know. Yeah. Yeah, I don't have answers. I don't have questions. I mean, I know we're going to get to it in the next chapter. Well, I assume we're going to get to it. (laughs) (laughs) That's that's the better position to take, buddy. Well, why don't we, uh, let's refill our glasses, my man. Sure. Some more wine in here. Well, Derek, why don't you take the rest of it? I think I drank all of my wine already, so. (laughs) You don't got to tell me twice. (laughs) But you know what I can do now that I'm not pouring wine? Ooh, what's that? I can tell you all about the fact that we partner with Audible. What? I know. And right now they're offering our listeners a 30-day free trial when they visit audibletrial.com slash spiceworldpod. Oh, my God. That is fantastic. It's really good. So when they sign up, they get one credit they can use to pick from one of thousands of titles. Like Dune, mm-hmm. my first audiobook. Go to recommendation. And if they sign up with their Amazon Prime account, they get two credits. Ooh, that is wild. From then on there, they get a credit each month they can spend on any audiobook. Mm-hmm. One credit, one audiobook, does not matter what the price is. Choose whatever your heart desires. There is an amazingly large catalog. Speaking of the catalogs, I think you and I have both been reading the same book recently. Yeah, Mike, you know, uh, not enough books in the world. We got a little book club at work going on. It's yeah. slowly turned into book an Book club audio- part two that actually I happened. I was going to say, this one's sort of like an audiobook club and it's, it's catching like wildfire. Yeah. So we booked up a book. It's been on my reading list for a while now. I'd heard about it about a year or two ago and I just never got around to it. You had a credit to burn. I was like, well, dude, we can do this one together then. I only picked it up because of the episode we did. Ooh, what was the episode? On Cheops. That was it. Yeah. And so this is the book. It's called The Three Body Problem by Sunshine Liu. That's my pronunciation. Oh, very good. It. It's really hard, but I digress. So, for me, Mike, the real magic of this book is how the story unravels. It's set during the backdrop of the Cultural Revolution in China, and the author weaves together a story of secret societies, government intrigue, and really imaginative science. Yeah. Yeah. Having finished the book, I'm just left reflecting on scenes that, like, some were just, like, tragic and dramatic in the representation. Others were right out of a blockbuster action movie. Uh, and then, like, even more were just your basic fantastic scientific or um, science fiction centerpieces, right? And so much of it was very, like, symmetrical and poetic in a way. Yeah, there were a few chapters that were, like, uh, mirror expositions of each other where two characters kind of did the same thing. It was it was really well-structured, mm-hmm. and I think that did a great uh, service to it. So I can't help but recommend, if you guys love sci-fi, I don't want to tell you too much about it because, honestly... This is a shocking awe book. Exactly. Uh, your whole way through it is just great. Um, but we've had, I think, four people at work now cruise through it, and I haven't had a bad review. Right. So I can't help but recommend The Three-Body Problem by Sunshine Liu. Fantastic, Derek. Thank you. But, hey, 30 days are up. <gasps> what if you don't want to continue? Oh, they're going to send you a little email, Mike, and they're going to be like, hey, hey, don't tell anybody, but if you want to cancel, we won't charge you. <laughs> <laughs> Exactly. I love when companies do that. <laughs> <And> honestly, <laughs> I don't think I've had any do it exactly like that. You know, we don't want to break your bank account, but maybe you <laughs> cancel tomorrow. 
<laughs> really getting to the Mike Tyson, aren't you? Yeah, I love it. I, Mike, I can only do one voice a week. <laughs> but hey, you still get to keep your entire audio library. Every single one, even the originals that you've added to your library. All the Audible originals, anything you got with that credit, it's yours for life. Fantastic, my man. We know that you understand the value of a good book. You read Dune. We're going to help you get a free audiobook when you visit audibletrial.com slash spiceworldpod. That's awesome. And if we can just get all of our Spice Worlders to head out there, pick up a free book, guys. Audibletrial.com slash spiceworldpod. And as always, if somebody would please send me a book recommendation. I need something more to read. All right. <laughs> well, there's one full glass of wine. <laughs> I guess we're going to get back to it. <laughs> I'll take it. All right, Mike. We got some deep dives. I got two things for you today. Okay. Now, I scrapped one. I was thinking about doing Aaliyah for you, but You said there was only like two paragraphs or something like that? We covered it all. (laughs) (laughs) It was really in the chapter. It was going to be painful to be a little redundant. But I think I got two that we can uh, carefully walk into that you'll enjoy. So the first one is going to be a little biography. It's going to be Hera. You know, we had to do this. Uh... She showed up a few times, but this, I felt like, was a great chapter for her. She really uh, finally fleshed out her full character, right? Uh, Beyond when we just met her. Mm -hmm. So, Hara. Wife by custom of Paul Atreides, widow of Jameis, nurse of Aaliyah, wife of Stilgar. The second born of twin daughters. uh, Yeah, twin daughters to Yajna and Dako. Yajna was her mother. Daco was her father. Base name's Galore. Yeah, right? Boom, boom, boom. Piling them on. Mm-hmm. Uh, I will tell you, this is one of the few articles I did edit as I went through. Oh, really? I had to, like, some lines I had to remove, some words. So, like, really? Yeah, I, I spared you constant redaction. And just, <laughs> I threw them all out. But even in that first paragraph, I was like... Oh, really, guys? <laughs> like, that doesn't need to be here. They were obnoxious in wow. how much they wanted to tell you. Now, continuing on. The maternal impulse that was to be Hara's driving force surfaced early, most noticeably after the birth of her sister, Alani. Uh, and this is a younger sister, so not the twin that she was born right. with. And uh, the protectiveness and tenderness she showered on her infant sister foreshadowed the solicitude she was uh, to lavish not only on her own children, but on those of the Atreides family as well. Baby Leon! Yeah! And indeed, Haro was never so happy as she was uh, caring for someone or something. Dang. That is like hard. That's her. That's yeah. what her drive is in life, and mm-hmm. maybe that's kind of why she may, might have been a great match for Jameis. Clearly, Jameis was the broken man. I just think he needed to be loved. Uh, yeah. He expressed himself through the battle set, man. He did. He did. And we heard he was a great father, right? Yeah. Yeah. He's got his other repertoire. Now, uh, as the rhapsodic lines in her memoirs tell us, because Hara was also going to sit down and write some memoirs right. later in uh, life. I like it. Yeah. <laughs> the growth. Of the meanest planet was a, uh, was a source of joy growing up on Arrakis. Because, oh. again, she's going to – we'll be a little more wider in the universe mm-hmm. afterwards. Her horizons will expand. Uh, Hara conveys her delight on seeing the first shoots in the potting rooms and then devotes pages to detailing the process of planting the dunes, of setting the dune collectors, and of nurturing the seedlings until they establish themselves. Again – Nurturing someone or something. Yeah. Her sister, the plants. She's always had this kind of mother force in her. Now, every page speaks to us of her pleasures and gratification in being involved with living things. Surely, she writes, there can be no more fulfilling joy uh, than fostering and sustaining life. Hara's own words of herself. 
Uh, numerous records recount the fulfillment of Hara's early promise of beauty. A tall woman of sensual slimness uh, in her full maturity, Hara was remarkable with her raven hair, olive skin, and striking angular features. A stunning woman eagerly sought after by the men of her siege until won by Jeff. Ah! Yeah! G-E-O-F-F, because it's space Jeff. Till now, the placidity of her life with Jeff, a shy man, was disturbed only when he was challenged by the formidable Jameis. A challenge that could have only one conclusion. Bye, Jeff! Oh, no! <laughs> As Jameis's woman, a desert fighter par excellence, and the miter of Kailef, um by Jeff and Orlop by Jameis, Hara found the temple of her, tempo of her life quickening. The greater portion of her days was spent in the still suit shops or the planting areas, but she still devoted much of her time to rearing her children and creating the home she wanted for Jameis when he returned from his forays or patrols. So, like, right away we had Jeff. It was going to be a simple life with Jeff. Mm-hmm. Here, quiet, like, leave it to beaver kind of Fremen life. <laughs> leave it to beaver Fremen. Yeah, yeah. I'm like, yeah, you think of that dad in that? Yeah, yeah, I'm like, sure, oh, okay. bug nerd, whatever. Uh, but no, Jameis comes in, rock star dad now. And now everything starts picking up a little bit. And I also feel like the um, political situation is also just heating up. So, like, the you can't really separate the two. Like, the Harkonnens cracking down. That 80-year period, right? It's all we know for the window of the Harkonnens coming in. Mm-hmm. So, Hara's friend, uh, Nisra Alchima, notes in her ah. journal, because everybody's writing journals now, mm-hmm. all these Fremen, um, that they're Yali. You remember what a Yali is? No, I don't recall. That's like your, your room in the Siege. Oh, right, right, right. Because yeah, uh, Chaney brought us to the Yali that like her and Paul went into. Mm-hmm. Uh, Hara also ushered us down when we did that little tour right. of the Siege to the Paul's Yali. So... Uh, Hara, Hara and Jameis' Yali, with its smooth, clean stone floor and its filmy orange hangings in the doorway, its glow globes and bright fabrics, its carpets warm underfoot and rooms piled with soft cushions, was the envy of every CH. So Mike, clean floor, envy of every CH. You know who I think came knocking one day? Farouk! I think he's like, <laughs> look, the Mahdi's coming. Just show me. Just show me how you do this. (laughs) Hara's like, all right, I'll show you this one trick. (laughs) Cracks her knuckles. (laughs) And then Farouk has been the greatest sweeper ever since. I just think it's got to be. It's the only reason. (laughs) It's the only explanation. I love that uh, they're sort of tying in this, like, one sentence at the end of this chapter, too, into Hara's backstory. It's just like, she knows how to make, like, how to respect the room, make sure it looks the best (laughs) it can be. It's like, yeah. Oh, I mean, Jessica. Well, I believe all that's pulled from it. Oh, wait. Are you thinking it's pulled from this chapter? Yeah. Oh, no. I think it's from uh, Paul, like the last time when she led Paul to that room. Oh, yeah. Uh, they did comment it on it there. But I see where you're coming from. <laughs> the I rugs like the are sh- terrible. Like, <laughs> just casting shade. <laughs> yeah. Well, her room was such shit. We might as well <laughs> say Hara's was the best. <laughs> now, Hara's years with Jameis were good, years full of achievement and family happiness. This domestic peace was shattered, however, when news reached the Echtabar of Jameis's death at the Cave of Ridges. And now I hear it called Ridges. We ended up on Riches because the map. Right. I don't know what to make of anything anymore, Mike. It's all turned topsy-turvy for me. We still have the... Oh, we're coming back next week. I got more for you. Okay. Were you going to say Brids? Yeah. I was going to bash you in the face. Yeah. Oh, God. <laughs> this is a next week issue. Stay tuned. Um, Wait, what? For the people listening, Mike. Oh, no, okay. Not for you. No, I know, I know oh, that, okay. but I'm like, I'm still 
a little confused. I got beef with Cave of Brids, is all I'm saying. <laughs> and I have reason to now. Okay. So, carrying on. Uh, Bred as a Fremen, she met the blow as a Fremen. Her grief would be private. I'll mourn Jameis in the proper time. But she wrote in her memoirs. Her innate resilience allowed her to meet and accept what destiny had next in store for her. Not that she had much choice. Her future was set by Fremen custom and tradition. Steelgar is about to hand you off to Paul's decision no matter what, mm-hmm. right? Like, it doesn't matter what you say when we get back here. Now, by law, Jameis is Yali. All of his possessions, excluding the funeral gifts, but including his wife's and son's. Belong to Paul Moadib now. Jeez. That's a weird law. Yeah. Uh, and you know how um, in that pile of stuff, just to reflect back on that funeral ceremony, mm-hmm. there were maker hooks in that pile. Right. If Paul would have chosen those, that would have been a bad omen. Because oh. a person who's not a sand rider is not allowed to choose those, or not allowed to have that stuff. Right. So I wonder what kind of, what that would mean. Would that just oh, be like a terrible curse on the Fremen? You know how like um, when the uh, Dalai Lama reincarnates, do you yeah. know the tests that they do where they lay out his objects? Yeah. yeah all and the... you got to pick them up? Yeah, yeah. I'm just like, I feel like it's almost uh, an omen like, and that Paul didn't choose that maker. Mm-hmm. Clearly it would have been a bad thing, but just the curiousness of like, what if he had picked up those maker hooks that were sticking out of that sack? I'm just looking at something real quick too. Yeah. What do you look up? James's funeral. Um, yeah, I'm in here. Mm. What do you want to see? So, James played the instrument, reminded him of Gurney Halleck. Uh, Paul knew now. Paul saw the contents of the mound exposed a pale, glistening gray still suit, a battered leader, John, a kerchief with a small book in its center, blade the handle of crisp knife, empty sheaf, folded pack, pair of compass, just trans thumper, pile of fist sized metallic hooks, an assortment of small rocks with a folded cloth, clump of banded feathers, and the ballast set. Oh, okay. Are you saying you're wondering if there were hooks in there? There were hooks in there, but... Well, they're they're fist-sized metallic hooks, but I'm saying maker hooks. You think I got that wrong? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, I think you're right. I think they are maker hooks, but the bigger thing is, what does uh, Stilgar take from it? Um, Stilgar, he takes the burka, because he takes the the, off of the mound, and that's what reveals the mound. And he says, I take this leader's rights. I was the friend of Jameis. He bent over the pile, lifted away the robe. I take this robe as a friend of Jameis, leader's rights. He draped the robe over his shoulder, straightening. Paul sees the contents. So Jameis played the ballast set, yada, yada, yada. For Jameis's woman and for the guards, he takes the rocks and the book. Leader's rights. The, ma- the marker for Jameis' coffee service is going to go to a saw in certain time. Leader's rights. Lastly, he took the Chris knife handle and stood with it. For the funeral plane, he said. Leader's rights. Then we proceed with the funeral ceremony. Okay, so then maybe those hooks are the are the hooks supposed to be maker hooks in this? Uh, no, 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 no. I I would uh, go back of like I would think maybe they're not. Maybe I, I think I'm mis misremembering because it said I don't know what fist size hooks are. At the same time, maybe what else would those be? Right, and then I was wondering like why didn't like did Stilgar take them? No, I don't know who took them. They end up just in the pile. I mean, granted, we didn't go through every item because mm-hmm. there's a whole troop that was there. Like right, everyone right. had brought something. Um, 
Is there something else you're going to pull from that? No, oh, I was sorry. just going to well, I was just curious to see if his maker hooks were there and that like that's what Stilgar took first just to get rid of any sort of like Oh, to get rid potential. of the chance for the bad yeah. omen. I got you. I was like, where are we going with this? I'm like, I didn't know if you just want like No, like I didn't I didn't want to was... just go down memory lane, Derek. Yeah, yeah. No, no, no. I I just thought like, like I didn't know if you were questioning if I recalled it right, but I see your point there of like if Stilgar intentionally put himself in the way of like a bad omen. Right. That would be really interesting. Interesting and very much to me, him putting his finger on the scale, mm-hmm. right? Of being like, make sure this doesn't happen. Right, right, uh, right. Very, really cool catch. And I'm glad you dug into that to mm. see. Uh, honestly, reading back to it, I question if those were maker hooks because just those fist sized hooks. What else would those be, though? That is a valid point. Yeah, I'm not sure. But you and I, we were also having the talk of like, are they collapsible? Because it doesn't come out and say it. And there's a lot of stuff Frank doesn't come out and say. You just got to make like a narrative assumption for. Uh, yeah. No, I, I feel I, like I feel like those are hooks. Stilgar didn't take them. Paul almost like that was part of the test in a way, right? Maybe because like if you again, uh, why I was bringing up the Dalai Lama thing mm-hmm. of like if you aren't the Dalai Lama, you wouldn't select you know right, right, right. or not to. I think I just made a double negative. That just makes sense. <laughs> I know. I know. If you're, you I know are you're talking the Dalai about. Lama, you wouldn't pick those up. Yeah, yeah. Um, but really cool. Glad you uh, did flip back through that. What a great little ah uh, oh, the funeral. That was yeah. a good time. Not in, like, for Jameis, but... (laughs) Well, now, carrying on. With this uh, being Paul's, uh, going back to, like, him beating Jameis, he wins the wife, the sons, all of his objects, except for what was divvied up at the funeral plane, or at the funeral ceremony. Uh, Thus, Hara became Paul's for one year to take as his wife or servant, after which time she would be free to choose as she wished. Now, over Hara's objections, Paul accepted her as servant. (laughs) <laughs> she did. She gave like three good attempts, and I loved even the last one. They were like, "You yeah, sure?" <laughs> Just <Yeah>. like, <laughs> but I was like, "No, no, I'm good." <laughs> and then he met his concubine later that same day, and <laughs> um, <laughs> a great old time. Now, although her pride was hurt by Paul's rejection to of her charms, Hara set aside her vanity with a practicality that really surprised Paul especially with how much she devoted herself to serving him as uh, one she respected. And she came to love as a brother, right? Yeah. And uh, her content was augmented when Jessica asked her to be infant Aaliyah's nurse. And when Paul took Cheney as his concubine, Nahara was not jealous, but rejoiced at their happiness. Because yeah. again, it's like, oh, my bro just got a, good for you, man. Yeah. I'm like, I bet she was Paul Wings, Paul's wingman the whole way through. <laughs> uh, like, I got your back. I don't think she needed to be, though. No, no, Cheney was pretty uh, yeah. head over heels right from the beginning. Yeah. If anything, she was like, you're trying too hard. Just ease back a little bit. <laughs> Play hard to get. Now, when the women and children of Siach Tabar were forced to flee the pogrom of the Harkonnen governor, Mudirnaya, mm. uh, Hara was sent with them as an honored member of Paul's household. Though lonely in exile, Hara, bu- Hara busied herself with, as Aaliyah's guardian and governess. Ah, yeah, yeah. I always have enjoyed governess as like the term for like a nanny. Mm-hmm. It's very like old English for it. And I'm just like, yeah, that is the amount of rule you should have with those children. <laughs> <laughs> you should be like iron fist. Taking control of a child like Aaliyah was a frustrating job. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> Made more difficult by Aaliyah's knowing and speaking of things beyond her years and by flouting traditional modes of behavior. Yeah, uh, but Hara's devotion to Aaliyah was unflagging, as evidenced by this passage from her memoirs. Ah. 
Aaliyah is like icy own flesh because she is sister to one who is like my brother. I've watched her over and guarded her from the time she was a mere babe, and I always will. Dang. Almost uh, verbatim from the text. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. That's why there, there really wasn't a lot more they give to either of these characters. Hara gets a little more flavor <laughs> just because I think of how um, her she um, doubles back when Paul rebuffs her. Of being like, no, but I'm I'm a trade. I'm totally joining your house. Right, and like right, joint, right. Uh, becomes like one of them, essentially. Now, besides erasing Aaliyah and becoming indispensable to her husband Stilgar in the years that followed, Hara became Chaney's closest friend. Oh. Yeah. She even stood behind, beside Chaney when... Oh, oh, fuck, Mike. Uh, yeah. <laughs> Look at that redaction. Damn. Uh, I will tell you, Hara is going to live a nice long life. Uh, so we have more Hara to unpack down the road. Yeah. Yeah. But for now, I got to stop there. That's where we're up to in the book. All right. Now, Aaliyah told you I got nothing for her. Though, I do want to tell you some of the titles that she has. She's got a good like uh, list of them going. Lady Aaliyah Atreides. Saint Aaliyah of the Knife, the Womb of Heaven, the Accursed One. That is a CV. Not necessarily in that order. Okay. Well, I wasn't going to present them as she grew you know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. Okay. Kind of mixed it up a little bit for you, but what do you think of each of those? Why the Accursed One? Ooh. Not why the womb of heaven. The womb of heaven's pretty <laughs> That's good. That's a pretty good one, right? Hey, all of a sudden, it's like the last thing is that it always sticks, you know? Yeah, 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 yeah. Fair enough, fair enough. And then I like that Saint Leo the Knife. You're like, That's old news. Yeah, we already, yeah, already <laughs> went Pro- down that road. Process that one. Yeah, just let that sit and mingle on you. She's got a lot that's going to go down. Now, the real deep dive I wanted to get to, Mike, the real prep. It's ladies' night. We're talking Fremen menstruation. Okay. Okay. So, like so many other bodily functions to which people on less arid worlds give little thought, menstruation was a matter of great concern to the Fremen. Their approach to it was partly evolutionary, partly cultural, and entirely unique. Okay. So, following their move to Arrakis back in 7193, after Guild, of course, the Fremen recognized immediately that they were uh, more imperiled by water loss than... Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, yeah, we found that out pretty quick. <laughs> Maybe within the first hour or so. <laughs> right, when someone died of water yeah. loss. Uh, it was because of that recognition that their water discipline was created and their water conservation devices developed, right? Mm-hmm. This became a matter of necessity. So uh, primarily among these was the still suit. Biggest invention you could right. possibly have, yeah. Because we already had the still tent we knew. We made that on another right, world. Right, right, Coming right. here, we're like, let's make that a little closer to home, mm-hmm. right around the body. And that amazing government, which was a Fredman, uh, was which was a Fremen's second skin, more carefully guarded at times than the first. Meaning, like you would make sure you're that thing. I would yeah. rather bleed than have my still suit rip. Right, right. One of these will heal over time. Mm-hmm. It's not the still suit. Almost immediately. Yeah, yeah, right. Because of apes and stuff yeah. like that, we've seen. So, from their earliest design, still suits for women were constructed differently from those for men. In addition to the thigh pads, which process urine and feces, the women's suits included a third processing unit for reclaiming the water lost in menstrual blood. In the later, even more efficient versions, these units kept female water loss on par with that of a male. So we keep it down to a thimble. Even ah. if you're on like your period, we can keep this all even for the rate, uh, both the sexes. Perfect. That's an amazing achievement, I kind of feel <laughs> like, because that's an extra source on the woman's right, part. Right, right. Like, that's hard. 
Now, the suits did not eliminate all the danger to a menstruating woman. Uh, reclaiming the moisture might be, but it was still water leaving the body in far greater quantities than would occur at other times. Uh, so it's still a threat. Uh, it's still a bigger danger than what the males right. are facing because this can happen and this is going to be for like a period of time, right? Now, during their first two generations on the desert planet, the Fremen watched a depressing number of their women perish uh, from shock and dehydration when they were unable to return the water to their systems quickly enough. So I got no experience uh, with menstruation and periods <laughs> enough to be like, I don't know if that's exactly how it would work on a crazy <laughs> desert planet. I don't believe that Frank does either. <laughs> I'm just going to accept this for now of like, <laughs> sure. When they had their period, some apparently died of mass to shock dehydration. I think we're going to need some, like an expert to call in and like write us I a just, little. I can't imagine any flow being that ridiculous. <laughs> and it's like, there goes all my water. And you just fall over and die. <laughs> I feel like you just need to be stabbed. <laughs> yeah, I, I don't know. Uh, but nonetheless, we solved this problem by the third generation. They discovered a partial solution. Now, we don't quite get the still suit fully nailed down yet. Okay. This solution is different. During the two weeks that bracketed a woman's flow, she would be put on a carefully regulated diet, which decreased the water level of her body, even below the Fremen norm to the bare minimum. Oh, and we dehydrate. We make you a mapes. <laughs> Raising you up. For exactly. A bit. And this regimen both lessened the amount of moisture available to be passed and then dropped the level gradually to, to avoid the shock. Hmm. So it's sort of like acclimating your body the whole way through the process. Okay. Knowing you're going to go down to this level, we get you down to that level and then bring you back up after. So the Fremen also discovered during these years that the bodies of the women were making their own effort to adjust. The length okay. of the menstrual cycle gradually lengthened, increasing to interval between flows and thus decreasing the number of times a woman would menstruate between puberty and menopause. So... Huh. After like a thousand years, Mike, the average cycle has leavened off to about 56 days, double the imperial norm. Whoa. That's not bad news. Yeah. Yeah. So what do you call that? Half periods? Because <laughs> it's half as much in your life or is it double because it's twice as much between? Wherever we're measuring this from. <laughs> I don't know. Less is all that matters. <laughs> Um, and so for them, this is like, uh, I think increasingly like your body is in a, um, you know, it's a potentially fatal moment less mm. often. That's probably why the body is going to acclimate to this way. Uh, education concerning this aspect of a Fremen girl's life, along with, uh, that involving such related issues as pregnancy, childbirth and nursing was considered too vital to be left to individual parents. Oh, so this is something you got to teach in all the classrooms. Just yeah. Because, like, this is, like, super important. Even more specific. So we don't do the whole classroom regimen yet. That's very much um, kinds on. That, okay. that what what you've witnessed as Fremen education. Okay. Like, that was, was it beforehand, then? Uh, so at puberty, the girls were taken on a week's retreat by the Reverend Mother of their Siet. Oh, you're telling me about this, right? Um, I think, yeah, it came up a little bit of a... Uh, Cheney's thing of yeah. like them going out there. And during this week, the special functioning of their still suit was explained to them, along with the ingredients and preparation the moisture reducing diet demanded. So you're learning all these steps of like, right. this is how, what periods are like, this is how the still suit operates with it, this is what you're going to do when you know that's coming, and you're probably keeping track of your cycles independently. Uh, I wonder if a sketch it's on the same kind of schedule. 
Um, oh, I don't know. We've been bringing up our community references. I'm just going to oh, say yeah. one more. Remember when Abed, he's, uh, he's, oh, he's tracking, like tracking the girls. everyone. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He pitches jokes, and he realizes some of his jokes aren't landing. So he starts graphing what days these jokes land, and then he realizes what he's graphing, <laughs> and he's keeping track of he just every, never stops, girl's, though. every girl's cycle. Well, because he wants his jokes to land. Uh, <laughs> and he sees an effect. Um, so I just think that's great. Now, the... Birth control method, their male counterparts, was also being explained. And that's all the book tells me. I don't know what birth control med- method the males learn. And I, I try, I, go, I search, I look through, there's no other article. Okay. I don't know if there was a miscommunication. Somebody thought somebody was doing a male Fremen section. <laughs> but, like, I'm really curious what the men do as huh. a contraceptive. Because we don't see anything otherwise. I did have one theory. Okay. What if it's a sand trip? That they use as a condom. Ooh. It's the only thing that would work in a similar means. I want to say probably not. Probably not, but it would cling to. It wants moisture. I don't want to go too deep into the logistics of that. Yeah, because the sand trout would be going real deep. But moving on. <laughs> yeah. So uh, I don't know what they do. The final thing, the Reverend Mother kind of like knowledge that she uh, would, de- uh, I was going to say depart onto them, but pass onto them. <laughs> Departing is what Ramallah did. <laughs> would part onto them is um, the most reliable means of determining their most fertile days during their cycle. Oh. Yeah, that's going to be crit uh, yeah. for making new Fremen babies. Now, the Reverend Mother's ancestral memories could be expected to contain information on almost any possible variation of the themes, and that information was passed on to their pupils. So basically, like, all the pupils are ask anything you want. Anything I don't know, I go, Voo, and I find someone who does <laughs> yeah. know. Yeah, and I will get that information. Like, that's how important this is to you. Right. Like, where we just sort of alluded to with the Reverend Mothers in this background, like, those voices can be overwhelming. Those voices can be dangerous. Mm-hmm. You're willing to dive into them for this event, for this occasion. It's like, no, it's worth this risk to inform you, ladies. I want to look more into the, like, the looking back in your memories aspect because I feel like we've glossed over that very much so. We haven't had the opportunity. We're too distracted by the Quisotatarok. There's a lot of interesting things in this universe. That's fair. Yeah, yeah. We can't give them all center stage just yet. Like, this whole first book, Mike, is Quisotatarok. We can forget that idea once we move on to Doom Messiah. Quisotatarok will take a backseat to some really more interesting concepts. So this continues on uh, with on return to their sietch, the young women were welcomed as new adults and received their own yali in their parents' household. So once you move back, now you get your own room. Hey! You upgrade, you're growing up. And uh, more responsible tasks were assigned to them and they were considered eligible for marriage at this point. Now, very key, this journey, this week long you spend with the Reverend Mother, on the final day, the Reverend Mother selects the ones she considers eligible to be on the Sayadina track. That's where she's evaluating. That's where she picks, like, the possible Sayadinas. Yeah. Right. So, like, everybody's got a motive for this. Yes, you're learning this. You're also all being evaluated at the same time. Plans within plans, Derek. Precisely. Now, a certain amount of ritual was involved in every cycle. Prayers were offered to Shai Halud at its beginning for the proof of fertility it gave. Other prayers at its conclusion for the women's continuing good health. So we do this every time you have a period. We go a little party, right? Hey! Now, the next time menstruation dramatically affected a Fremen woman was when she reached menopause, a passage considered nearly as important as puberty. 
And this was basically that it's a celebration because uh, we have a party at this point. When you go into menopause, we bring everybody together. The whole family comes, the CH <laughs> comes out, the naive comes, the Reverend Mother, and it's a celebration of your safe completion of your fertile years. Very nice. Like you've done everything you can for the tribe in that respect. This phase of your life is over, and you may now continue on, and that you're no longer like seen as like responsible for that in a way, right? Now you're just going on secret agent missions. Exactly. <laughs> Mapes. <laughs> but... That is my little uh, Fremen menstruation story. That was cool. I like the twofer. We don't usually get like two. It's uh, been a while since I'm like, yeah, pulled a couple things out. I have no time for it, but I was like, this is going to be worthy. I'm I'm a fan. Um, And looking at the time, I mean, we're doing very well on time this week. Normally, we've had some long episodes of like. (laughs) uh, Some stumbles. (laughs) Some stumbles. But like, yeah, I think we're back on normal track at least for now end of the book we're gonna be talking about a lot of things yeah i got i got some plans <laughs> well i didn't pick a super long one for uh daniel's dune gazetteer this week yeah but uh i thought it might be a fun one to uh revisit in a little bit more detail oh okay so it's a place we've been before yeah it's where, a place we've been before we're we going back to well <clears throat> let me get my best uh voice here mm-hmm. System data. Star designation, Alpha Laporis A. Star name, Arneb. Distance from old Earth, 1,284.1 light years. Spectral type, F0LB, white supergiant. Magnitude, 2.58. Absolute magnitude, negative 5.34. Known planets, Eletigus. Oh man, I had no idea where we're. I was like, <laughs> where, where's the word I can grab onto? There's nothing here. I'm, I'm floundering. I'm sinking, Mike. I'm sinking. Bella's the geese. I got it. I got it. Bella's you the went, goose. You went to goose. Yeah. yeah. All right. All right. Well, uh, when I listened to the audiobook version of it, it said uh, Bella to Goose in it. I'm like, oh, that's not how we've been saying it. Mm, I'm like, okay, I see. <laughs> yeah. But it really reinforces the whole fact that, like, this is pretty much just Beetlejuice, right? Sure. Well, I mean, that's what I. Wait, wait. Again, when you just said that, I was thinking the cartoon character. Oh. I'm sorry. You mean the real star? I meant the star. Yeah. <laughs> that was why my response was so flippant. <laughs> uh, sure. I'm like, sure, whatever you say. I, too, love Beetlejuice. Which, funnily enough, there's a giant worm in the desert in that movie. Yes. Uh, yeah. No, that's <laughs> why it's the per- perfect parallel here. Mm-hmm. So, starting out, obviously, I got three parts every time. History of Bella to Goose. Yes. Now, although called the third stop of the Zensuni, and the third stop is in quotes because I do think they refer to them as, like, by those numbers. Like, yeah, the third yeah. stop, the fourth stop. Uh, Bella Goose is the alternate designation for those Zensuni spared from going to Seleucus Secundus. The planet was an acceptable home for them for eight centuries, yet, despite an attempt at resistance, the Sardaukar removed them in 6049 AG to two new colonies, Rossic and Harmanthep. Ooh, this yeah. is just revisiting old wounds here, Derek. Yeah, because we know Harmanthep didn't end so well. It's our prayer of mourning. Mm-hmm. Now, Dama, the great honored Matre, later mentioned Bella Tugus in a list of conquered worlds. Ooh, an so, honored Matre. Yeah. Uh, I don't know when we're going to get to meet those. Or maybe that's from the Dune Sex. No, it's not from the Dune Sex. No, no, no. They're, they're Franks. Okay. They're, yeah. okay, sure, okay. Her- heretics. Exciting. Etymology. Now, we already did some history. I'm excited to learn more about, like, why this? Yeah, yeah. And I guess, but it's also chosen from a real planet. So are we doing the actual one for the... Well, 
let me go ahead and uh, let you know what Daniel says here. Yeah. The name of Bellish Goose is a barely disguised, if slightly corrupted, anagram of one of uh, the most famous stars of all, Betelgeuse. Nice. Uh, also known as Alpha Orionis. Okay. Which is what, that's the same star that you mentioned before? When you, uh, is it the same as like what you read in the beginning? Yes. Or is that just because Daniel, no, uh, Daniel ascribes it to that? Uh, oh, wait. Star designation. We called it Alpha Leporis A. Oh, this is from the Dune Encyclopedia, I think. Oh, okay, okay. Just wanted to see where Daniel was pulling that from. Right. That makes sense. Uh, but, but the star, uh, Betelgeuse itself, is Alpha Orionis, because it's in the... Right, right, the real star. Yeah, it's yeah. in the Orion constellation. Awesome. Uh, Orionis meaning of Orion. Mm-hmm. Now, the name Betelgeuse has been read as a corruption of the Arabic Ipt al-Jazah, which in quotes means armpit of the central one. Oh! Wait, oh. so is that like in... So we're talking the whole constellation of Orion? Yes. So is this like the middle star in the belt, or is this like Orion's armpit? Like his armpit. It, okay, I didn't yeah. know if they were that Well, precise. let's take a look at... Uh, Google it real quick. You no, got a I, I just didn't know if they were being like um, disparaging and just trying to cast some shade and like no. talking some shit. But, no, no, uh, this is the literal... Uh, uh, like armpit to me means like backwater, like the terrible part of the place, right? <laughs> like New Jersey is an armpit of the United States. No. So. Hey, we have our illustrator there. <laughs> no, we do. Hey, uh, why don't you Google a picture of it? Okay. Uh, uh, what do you want me to type in? Betelgeuse Constellation. <laughs> what did you get? Uh, I got some autocomplete. Um, uh, I just want kind of constellate. It's. It really just said Catherine O'Hara, and I don't know how I butchered it that far. <laughs> is she in the movie Beetlejuice? Is that why? I don't know. All right. Uh, I got the Beetlejuice constellation here um, opening on up of Orion, and I see it. He is very much the armpit there. Yeah. Yeah, look at that. So the arm that is... Uh, it was armpit of the central one. Kind of the arm that comes... So not the arm holding the bow. The other arm that kind of arcs up over. Right. Belitigis is that armpit. Gotcha. That's and, hilarious. And uh, so that would be a corruption of the Arabic uh, Ipt al-Jazah. Okay. Uh, as opposed to uh, Belitigis or Belitigus. Bella the Goose. Um, Bella the Goose. Now, there's also another possible corruption of an Arabic uh, phrase. Okay. Which is, uh, seems maybe a little bit more on par, Bet el-Juz. What does that translate to? House of the Twins. Oh, oh, that's that's kind of cool for like a star system. Is it a twin system? Well, at all? no. The latter name would imply it was once included in the neighboring constellation Gemini. Oh, yeah. I like that. That's pretty cool, right? Yeah, yeah. I feel like I might even be giving him too much credit, but I like yeah. it. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, Bet El Juice seems a little bit closer, I think. But that's for uh, Betelgeuse itself. And, of course, we're assuming that Belitigus is named after Betelgeuse. Yeah, yeah, yeah. As you say all these words in order, I don't see how they couldn't be. <laughs> exactly. Now, place in space. It is a variable red giant of about 0.45 magnitude and 427.5 light years distance. It is one of the largest stars of a known diameter. At its maximum, it may be larger than the orbit of Jupiter. Whoa. I didn't realize how big the that was. the orbit of Jupiter. Yeah. Holy shit. I didn't realize how big that was. That's it's like what seventh planet? Jupiter? Yeah. Where, where are we on Jupiter? Uh, sixth. Six. My God, that's pretty big. Yeah. Belitigus is said to be the fifth planet of Quensing, which is Chinese for Army Well. Alan, who I, I don't know who Alan is. 
Uh, I think I may have missed a, a sentence here in this gazetteer. <laughs> but Alan, he's important because he identifies it as being a star in the vicinity of Alpha Leporis or Arneb. Uh, Alpha Leporis being a star in the constellation uh, Lepus. Okay. Is that also in Orion? No, it's a constellation just below it. Okay. Uh, which it goes on to say, uh, this constellation is at the foot of Orion that is below the stars uh, Saif and Rigel. So uh, that's where Alan thinks that it is. And I love that it says here, uh, more than he does not and presumably could not say, he believes that this is the star. <laughs> like, I think Alan's talking out of his ass. Ooh, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> that is a, a word salad right there. Yeah, exactly. So, but Alan continues, uh, since, or Daniel continues about Alan. Since Alan <laughs> puts this information under our neb, and since the other seven bright stars in Lepus offer little to choose uh, between them, I will assign Belitigus to the alpha star of the constellation. Okay. So Arneb is the alpha star of that constellation. Of that constellation, which we're then saying is the alpha for this one. We're putting... Yeah, I don't we're, know. Then we're putting Belitigus as the alpha planet for the alpha star of this constellation. Yeah, instead of the armpit of Orion. <laughs> instead of this it's either one over here with the same name it could be the hair or it could be this dude's armpit gotcha i gotcha. still think the uh uh battle juice would have been a way better assumption than this i because so. he has literally he's literally coming up with no explanation as to why but it might have been more fun it might have been more <laughs> fun well it's cool because he does uh mention here the name lepis uh means the hair from the arabic name of the constellation and the constellation's name is Latin, I think. Yeah, it'd be Latin for the same thing. I don't know. It's weird, man. I don't know what he meant by that. It, I mean, it is totally possible. It's a shared word between the two. I, I've looked it up, and it is uh, at least Lepis is Latin for hair. Okay. It could totally be a shared word. Like, those cultures were right on the border with each other. Yeah, then it's entirely possible then. So that would make sense. Mm -hmm. Now... Uh, his last little bit of interesting facts here. It is more than interesting that both the hair seen on Earth's moon and the Moadib, the kangaroo mouse of Dune, seen on the second moon of Arrakis, have a constellation named after them. And says, you can see Arrakis and Old Earth on this. So, I didn't know this, but apparently there's a hair on our moon as well. That is wild. So, yeah, you had me look this up. Yeah. And once you, if you guys search hair moon, like, you can't unsee it. It's right there <laughs> on the northern border of our moon. And uh, so I'm reading a little bit about this, Mike. And so what we refer to as our centuries of, like, the man on the moon. Yeah. Uh, it says, a few centuries ago, the image of a hair was, in fact, more commonplace. Hence the name Hair Moon. Oh, I didn't even know that. Now, for you and I, and I think many of the people listening, we've all grown up in a world very much where the moon has been demystified. Mm -hmm. Like the moon, I've grown up entirely with the phrase, we can put a man on the moon, but yada, yada, <laughs> yeah, yada, yeah. right? Like that's always been there. It's never even been a question in my mind of like, what is in the sky? That's a fucking rock we've walked on. We've brought a few back. I've held them in my hand in elementary school, right? Mm -hmm. And so I think just even being able to go back to 65 when Frank's writing this, mm -hmm. haven't been there yet. 
No one's been there. We don't even know for sure you can land on it. Well, we do because we sent probes. But, uh, you know, it's still mysterious. It's still mystical. Yeah. The shapes you see on it would still have an, a huge effect on pop culture. And then to turn the clock back even further, I can see everybody of like, why wouldn't, like, for how much we do know constellations, like, yeah. the fact that you and I have never looked up at the moon and been like, seen shapes on it. There's so much yeah. color and distinction there. Um, but yeah, so just like how mystical it would be to them that they would see these shapes and identify with it as much as we would do maybe with constellations still mm -hmm. that's awesome but yeah look for the hair moon people it is a really cool that shit. is really cool and so like definitely the moon deep moon and like the hand on the moon those are totally inspired by our own that makes sense yeah 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 so that's all I got on Bella the Goose. Ooh, Bella the Goose. Bella the Goose. Never oh. thought I'd go into that history. Okay, that was short and sweet. Yeah. Uh, when you first told me Bella the Goose, I don't know why, but I really thought we were going to hit into the uh, the Bene Talaxlu. Oh, I, and like that's not the plan. It's the Bella and the T. Oh yeah, I think. yeah. And I just like I, I had this kind of like, oh, how's Mike gonna know about this? I'm like, I'm really glad that wasn't it. I'm glad I didn't say anything to start. Yeah, I to, to the end here to let you know I was being a fool. So now Bella can uh, be added to our little menagerie with El Morte. Excellent. Moving on up. Moving on up. That's um, that's awesome. I yeah. love the Casatier. It's pretty good. Yeah. Uh, I see a lot of snow out there, Derek. Oh, get that door open, oh, man. Oh. <laughs> Come here, buddy. <laughs> oh, shake it. Yeah, you got a little ice pick? I think we're going to have to chill oh, off. What? His wings are looking pretty oh, firm. God. It's all right, buddy. Why don't you tell me what you got here. Okay. Oh, Mike. We got a little message from Twitter. Oh. Uh, oh, let me give it a little whiny. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Don't <laughs> just tip, tip, it, tip it down. Tip it down. Uh, Brian Evans sent us a message on Twitter. And he said, uh, hey, guys, discover the pod uh, when I started a reread a few months ago. I wonder if he did that for the movie, too. Ah. Says he loves it. Piter is my cancer puppy. <laughs> Maybe laugh out loud. <laughs> Keep up the great work. I am working on chipping Mike with as many cancer puppies as I can. Um, so if you're up to this point, you know the few I've got a few uh, you're marked what? already. What? I'm like, you, you already got names for him. You're holding on. Oh, Don't worry. You'll never see it coming, Farouk. Um, <laughs> Did you dare? Never, never. Uh, but yeah, so I'm so glad you're listening to it. Hope we're living up to the expectation. I uh, hope we really enjoyed the B2Ds too. Yeah, those were the Valerian Jihad and the Holtzman, like great dives into like some awesome um, encyclopedia lore mm -hmm. there. Uh, do you got any messages? You no. especially do too, but no T codes <laughs> other than No, him. no. <laughs> he looks pretty tired. We'll just let him rest. He does. Yeah, I'll put him, I'll put him by the heater. Right. <laughs> you like that? Yeah. Take a little seat, buddy. We'll put a little pillow down for you. Uh, I think that might, that kind of brings us to the end of the week, doesn't it? Yeah. Does anyone have a question for us? Do you guys uh, perhaps know a wine we could afford? Let us know. We're at Spice World Pod on Instagram and Twitter. You can always send us a distrans at SpiceWorldPod at gmail.com. And of course, there's our website at SpiceWorldPod.com. And if you're looking for a way to support the show, come join us over at our little sketch on Patreon.com slash SpiceWorldPod. Yeah. So we can find our exclusive between two Dunes episodes, like the Empoleros. Or we just did Fremen Culture. Fremen Culture. Up until the year 10191. Yeah, there, <laughs> there's a little asterisk there. There's an asterisk there. That was a, it was a great uh, little time, though. We yeah. delved into like some specifics that otherwise you don't really get in the book. Exactly. Uh, so I was happy to do that for us. Uh, and glad everyone got to vote on it, too. And yeah. chose that one. So uh, I can't wait to see where we go next month. <laughs> but as always, guys, we'll have a new one for you whenever we can. And we got some really cool ideas for down the road when we go into oh yeah Messiah. and after this book we're going to be doing the movie oh yeah we got a fit yeah i've already watched half of it I've already, so. we already watched the first half we posted that for some of our uh 
Patreon members, I don't want to just like post all of no, the raw no, footage no, and stuff. No. I'd like to do a best of of uh, yeah, sort of like our chatter, commentary, my revelations or whatever they are. Yeah, our mystery science theater, not that bad though. <laughs> <laughs> as far as all things go, do something. Yeah, we'll do something. But uh, Derek, Mike, I want my little teaser. Oh, uh, I got a good one. So. We've outlined very much uh, the headwinds that are going in front of the Fremen right now. Things mm-hmm. are changing. Yeah. At times they are changing. I did look this up, actually, too, of uh, Bob Dylan when he wrote that song. Yeah. A little, little after. Uh, <laughs> okay. okay. I was like, Frank, did you steal that? Did you, did you hear that Bob Dylan tune? And you were like, oh, this is going in the bug. <laughs> but this goes. <clears throat> Do you wish a gathering of the leaders? Stilgar asked. Eyes blazed among the young men in the troop. They swayed as they rode, and they watched. And Paul saw the look of unrest in Cheney's glance. And when she looked from Stilgar, who was her uncle, to to Paul Moadib, who was her mate. You cannot guess what I want, Paul said. And he thought, I cannot back down. I must hold control over these people. No. That's where I end. Damn. So, Mike, doubling back to how you're feeling about Paul and Still. Dang. I think we're reaching that uh, that crucible moment here. And there's not too much left in the book. Uh, how you think this is shaking out? I No, I think uh, I think Still knew this was a possibility. <gasps> Do you think he doesn't pull the knife out? No, he would pull the knife out. Uh, give, give him a, make, I think, make him more force. Well, he already knows that he probably can't do it, but he knows that like this is probably going to be like a necessity for the Fremen going forward regardless now at this point. Do you think he'd be he, like, unlike Jameis, you're bleeding today? Oh, maybe. <laughs> like, yeah. I'm going to well, get you one best shot. If you're going to die, you're going to go down fighting. I, oh, Especially man. if he knows he can't beat Paul because Paul is just you know that talented. And a little bit of the Amtal rule. It would, yeah, it would it almost would, be insulting to the tribe if he didn't give it his It would hardest. be improper, I would even yeah. say. Yeah, yeah. Beyond an insult. like It would be detrimental mm-hmm. if you didn't. That's so, amazing. That's, that's what I'm thinking. That's a good bet, but I think until then, we're going to have to wait. And uh, as always, Mike, the, the spice, spice must flow. <laughs> I found a book on uh, Amazon entitled Robin Williams, Suicide, Autoerotic Asphyxiation, Murder. <laughs> <laughs> really glad I chose now to press record. <laughs> <laughs> you can publish anything on Amazon. <laughs> it's pretty good. <laughs>